0: Well, hello, everybody. This is Tim Green with Rattle Magazine. Welcome to Rattlecast number 200. It's a celebratory episode. 200 in, that's something, that, that's something pretty cool. That's uh, almost four years' worth of uh, broadcasts live on the Rattlecast. We're back after a week break. We're in the uh, Haiku North America conference, which is a lot of fun. Uh, we'll be having more haiku poets coming up on future broadcasts. But it was fun to talk about the future of poetry there. One of the main aspects that we talked about in our, in our speech was the... Um, the possibilities that nfts present into poetry and for this week's episode we have an earlier time to make sure we can get the uh, uk contributors here we have a whole bunch of contributors for the summer issue of rattle number 80 featured of course a tribute to nft poets if there's anybody who wonders what nfts are I, i don't think subscribers do at this point if you're a print subscriber you read the interview with sasha styles you read all the contributor notes and all the conversations surrounding it so you kind of get the idea But we do have people who listen to the podcast who don't subscribe in print. So just as a little primer, I think we're going to talk about just NFTs in general first, and then we'll get to some examples and and share our thoughts and and our our visions for what the future might be if NFT poetry really takes off as something that can really help poetry and benefit poets. Um, So if you don't know what NFTs are, they are um, on the blockchain. They are sort of smart contracts um, that allow... Uh, people to have permanent records of something. So I've known about blockchain for a long time. I actually, way back in the very beginning, when the first white paper was released in 2008, um, I was really involved in election integrity uh, with black box voting. And I heard about blockchain there, and I read that white paper. It's only like three pages long. And it felt to me like reading uh, like Einstein's paper on general relativity. It was that sort of clean and amazingly beautiful in the way that it solved two problems simultaneously. It's a way for allowing something to be um, both, um, like transparent and secure, and that's really what it was. So I was thinking about how we could use blockchain uh, to to vote. And so we'd have a way to, to cast our votes in a way that we could see how we actually voted. Everybody could check for themselves. We'd have an actual record that no one could change, because to change something on the blockchain, you'd have to hack like, every computer all at once. And nobody can really do that. And so it keeps the whole thing secure by being decentralized. And that's really how a blockchain works. It's like a ledger at the bank or like a ticket that, tape uh, that shows a string of code, but that code exists forever as long as all the computers in the network are running and it can't be changed unless all the computers agree on how it's changed so it makes this permanent record of something and as it grows and grows um, nfts are one of those things which is it stands for non-fungible token and fungible means that uh, it can be copied so it's something that can't be um, um, copied and and replicated and um, and there's a lot of opportunities for, uh, for what NFTs can do for poetry, which I didn't think of at all. It was 2008 when I first learned about blockchain, kicking myself for ever since then for not getting into Bitcoin. But, uh, but I was thinking about different things at the time and trying to get a down payment on my house. Um, but uh, fast forward to last year. Katie Dozier, who you're all familiar with if you watch this show, submitted poems to Rattle uh, for Poets Respond, and I noticed in her bio that she had NFT Poetry Gallery as her source. And as always, I'm curious and said, what the heck is that? So I went and visited, checked it out, read her primers on it, and we started talking about NFTs, and, um, and she sort of convinced me that there's some real possibilities for what NFTs can do for poetry. So maybe the first person we should talk to is Katie. So I ask you to unmute yourself, Katie. Hey, Katie, how you doing?
1: Coffee during the rattle cast, so that's exciting. <laughs> it is true.
0: I, I think coffee would make me too dehydrated, so I have coke. But um but enjoy your coffee. And um and so so really I didn't know I hadn't thought about I knew about blockchain. I knew about about Bitcoin, you know, I knew it was like too late for me to get. I was worried about government regulation too. But um uh, but I had no idea that it could be something that could be done to the benefit of poetry. And so so mm-hmm. how do you see uh, blockchain as helping poets. Can we talk about that first? Like what can it do for poetry that uh, that other forms of publishing and, and other mediums can't?
1: Well, I think that as Justin Tag is going to talk about later, we need to think more about, the container that we see poems in, and what nfts do for poetry is that they make them collectible, like truly collectible for basically the first time we can reposition how we see poems, and I think it 's something that makes it for the first time a container that we actually can fit inside
0: <laughs> yeah yeah, and to me there 's always you know i 've been trying to to solve some problems with poetry for for twenty years almost i 've been an editor of rattle for literally nineteen years. And for 19 years, there have been a few things that are real issues, and, and one of them is what I call the Ouroboros problem. And if anyone knows what the Ouroboros is, it's that snake that eats itself. But the issue is that poetry is the grand dialogue of our species. I mean, poetry is how we evolved. We evolve through poetry. We make meaning out of words. That's what we do, creating objects, dividing up the world into, like, uh, into tools that we can use. And that's what words are, so they... Great abstract thought that was what stored our myths for tens of thousands of years. And so we're all natural poets. We learn poetry. We learn to speak through nursery rhymes. Um, you know, and so, you know, so poetry is so fundamental to us. And when we start to fall in love with poetry, we start to write poetry too, which is a great thing, because poetry is great for your, your psyche and your, your emotional spirit. And it's a kind of meditation, and, and it makes life better. Uh, but the problem with that is uh, because everybody who reads poetry ends up writing poetry, every, every consumer of poetry is a producer of poetry, and no matter how many poets you have, no matter how many books you're selling, there isn't a way to make any money off poetry, because there are just as many poets as there are readers of poets, and we can't just sell to each other. So it's sort of like a, uh, an island that has nothing to export. You know, and we can grow the island and make it bigger and bigger, but we don't have like a boat to get off the island. And so to me, NFTs, one of the things they can do is be a boat by making poems collectible in a way um, and also bringing in other people who might be interested in investing in poetry without writing it. Um, and so we yeah. talked about um, about about making it collectible. And that's what what art does. Um, art. Um, you know, because you make a painting, you only have one painting that makes people want to collect it, right? And so, but but why would people want to collect poems when you can just read them? Which I think is a benefit to NFTs. But uh, but but talk about that. Why would you want to collect something if you can just read it anyway?
1: Sure. So that's like the most common criticism of not just NFT poems, but of NFTs in general. Like, oh, I can save this crypto punk. So why would I possibly want to invest in it? And it's all the reasons, you know, that people want to invest in artists. I mean, there is, for example, when I collected an NFT poem, I am hoping with a lot of them that down the road, you know, they become worth more, more. And and a lot of the artists, you know, who are in, in this issue of rattle, I believe that to be the case for them because they're hardworking and they're creating meaning in the world with their poems. But the, a big reason is is wanting to support other people doing something that they love and that they're passionate about. And that helps to make the world better. I really believe poetry helps to make the world a better place. And so supporting poets that are doing that in a very easy way through NFT poetry is one way to go ahead and make the world a little better, I think. <laughs> yeah.
0: I, and I think by, by you know, we, we sort of have uh, in poetry, you almost have a, a, an attempt at a scarcity economy, right? Because it's books mm-hmm. and you have to go to a library to get a book or to go to a bookstore and buy a book. But, but we want our poems shared. And so so there's this thing that, that I've always troubled me. And it's the thing that, that what drew me to rattle in the first place over 20 years ago was that we published all our poems online. We just share everything we, as widely as possible. Mm-hmm. Everything is free. Um, anything that's in rattle, you can read online. Eventually, we like piecemeal it out because it's kind of more fun that way. Um, mm-hmm. But we're not hiding anything or holding anything back. And still people buy back issues. Um, and to me, it's because it's, it's, there's a tangible, tactile thing for reading poems in your hand. But there's also this idea that you want to support what you love and you want to have a piece of what you love. And right. that works in the digital world, too, I think. And so and so but moving it from that that scarcity, um, you know, you can't get this unless you buy it model of poetry, which is what books do to everybody read this. And if you love it, collect it is something that could really benefit poetry in, in yeah. a way that I think a lot of people aren't thinking about.
1: Yeah, I think that that's a really important distinction. And one thing that came up at the Haiku Conference was, I'm not saying NFTs are going to replace all physical books. Like, I love that I get to hold this in my hand right now. I, I love that. And there's a place for both things. I mean, imagine, I, I always like coming back to pretending if Ginsburg had minted Howell and had it on the blockchain and there was the provenance you could you know, reach back all the way to the actual original howl. not to mention the fact that through the benefits of how you can set up smart contracts, then, you know, ancestors of people who wrote the poems can, can receive the benefit. You know, these are going to be things that are in people's wills, um, poems, which is really fascinating, I think too.
0: Yeah. I think that's really great to think about. Let's go to, um, to Justin, uh, also known as Devoid. Um, are you there, Justin? Yeah, Justin.
2: I'm here, yeah. Thanks so much for having me, Tim.
0: Yeah, so I met you. Uh, me and Katie were also at the NFT um, NYC conference. So we met you, and you just had great things. It was just a really fascinating presentation about the possibilities of um, NFTs and changing the way we think about books and change the way we think about reading. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that, um, about what, uh, you know, how, how can poetry on NFTs change the way we consume poetry?
2: Yeah. Yeah, of course. I mean, I think one thing that happens when a lot of people arrive in the NFT conversation is that that they've been kind of, the the conversation has been saturated with PFPs and with NFTs that are kind of essentially novelty. It's going to make you an awful lot of money and then suddenly it's gone to zero. And it ignores the fact that NFTs, basically it's a technology, you know, so, um, you know, criticisms of NFT in that sense are the equivalent of, of blaming paper for being able to catch on fire it's kind of missing the point so the, the where i come at it is is really quite a, a broad place which is your story is the operating system for life you know it's it's through storytelling it's through conversations that we consistently update the software in each other's heads you know the models we hold about what reality is and, and and what it is to be human alive here and now so stories are very important um, and if stories are important then the manner in which we deliver those stories is also incredibly important and it tends to be that stories take the shape of the technology that's available to them so you know if you, if you take a loose definition of a of a book as being a document that is glued together a, a, a pages that are glued together and then you start asking well you know what happens when we you know make our pages out of code or what happens when our glue is something dynamic like the blockchain then you tend to find that stories can take different shapes. So for me the exciting part about NFTs is that it facilitates a different kind of storytelling um and, and much of which we we still don't know because it's it's a quiet thing. It's not all about instantaneously this is the greatest thing ever. It will also be surpassed. But for now, what it's doing is, as you've said, on the one hand, it's allowing us to, you know, take something like poetry and another literature, which is traditionally traded as infinite editions, which means that we we tend to fail to capture any value there and and it's allowing us to add an additional economic layer in there which is the trading of the original text so that's fantastic but because nfts are essentially built on code you get the opportunity for composable stories you know nfts that talk to one another and can be put together in interesting ways so it'll be interesting for books as well as poetry but the, the thing that arguably excites me most about all of this is that all of our various different media technology has often been built in silos in the past. So um, one of my backgrounds is in film. So you know, the film distribution, filmmaking, you want to make a feature film and distribute it, then you've got a very particular set of rails you need to follow to get that film in front of people and on a screen in front of people. The same is true for publishing, the same is true for music, the same is true for games um because we we're building everything on different technology now when we can start to have the fundamental underlying infrastructure start to be the same we we take down the walls between these siloed industries and make it really easy for somebody who is also a poet and an artist to put their work together and tell stories that that spread out across multiple different media and also for these for people who specialize in different media to collaborate in ways which previously might just have been logistically awkward to do so that it is it, the potential for the kinds of stories we can tell when our technology changes uh, shape I think that excites me most.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. And we'll have, um, they're not here today because Ana Maria Caballero and uh, Sasha Styles are both going to be guests later in the month for a whole episode. So we didn't want to have them taking up time right now. But they're both working in, in particular in so many collaborative ways, which we'll be able to see um, on those episodes. Um, and, and it is, there's just so much, you know, it's really interesting to be on the ground floor of something that's right starting. And there's only, a, you know, a few dozen. I don't know how many people are writing, you know, including poetry and what they're doing with NFTs, but it's not many. Um, and we had 100 submissions to this issue or so, 150, I think, uh, but a lot of them were just people like one off doing things. And there's really this core group of people around um, around that we've gathered here. They're, they're doing a lot of interesting things, but, but the possibilities are still being figured out. We're still determining what can be used in, in this sort of Web 3.0 environment. Um, and I want to talk about uh, uh, this that, all more, too, but I know uh, we should look at poems, too, and uh, Pierre Gervois, who is an amazing poet and artist, um, is here with us, and he's got to go about a, a little bit. So I want to make sure we get to Pierre first. Hey, Pierre, how are you doing?
3: Thank you so much for your kind words, Tim.
0: Yeah, it's just wonderful. Another poet that we met at NFT NYC at that very interesting Food Mask you reading event. Um, but, but so, so how did you, you know, take your art into NFTs? Why did you do that? And and what are you doing with it? Can you give an overview? And then we'll look at a few of the pieces that you sent.
3: I, I went to NFT out of despair. So I have been doing physical art for 33 years from 1988 to 2021. And I didn't sold a single piece of my work. For 33 years and I was therefore slightly depressed about myself and the lack of interest of my work. In May 2021, for the first time, I minted one of my PCs that was composed on my computer on the blockchain. And after one hour, a collector bought my work. And then My life changed in the second half of 2021. So it was not because I love science or I love technology or I know I'm a computer engineer. It was out of despair, out of economic necessity. So I love the blockchain, not because I understand deeply this technology, which I know nothing about. It is just because it allows me to show my work, to share it with friend and collector, and to make a little bit of money. So that is the reason.
0: <laughs> yeah. And, and they're really, I mean, they're, so the, the piece that we published, which, um, you know, people got to see in the issue, but as a still, I'll put up, um, this is Income Six. Uh, and I'll put up so people can actually see on the screen uh, what it actually looks like in the NFT. So, can you explain uh, what you were doing here and how this piece in the series came to be?
3: So, um, uh, my work is exploring class issues and relation of power in our society. Uh, I come from a middle-class family, and the dream of my parents was to raise to the upper middle class. So, I was extremely conscious of the importance to appear more important than you are, to have a good job with a good social status so you can show to everybody that you made it. So I was hyper aware of the class issues. And I didn't make it to the upper class because I'm still broke. And so I am investigating the social trajectory between the middle class and the upper middle class. I don't go outside these boundaries. I don't know what it is to be poor, because I've never been. So I'm not going to talk about this particular socioeconomic status. I don't know what it is to be rich. So I'm not going to talk about it. I'm going to explore the trajectory between the middle class and the upper middle class. And in particular, I always wondered, can we really be friends with people who make more money than us? Is that possible? Seriously. If you meet a friend and you're taking the subway and the friend has a big BMW car, mm-hmm. well, can you really be friend with him or her? If your friend has a big Louis Vuitton bag and you just had a supermarket plastic bag, maybe you're going to hate him or her. You'll be, jealous, be consumed by jealousy. So I was asking this question and I wanted to explore different scenarios with different income brackets and income differences between people and see how people how it would affect the interpersonal relations mm-hmm. of people in a very analytic way in a very neutral way how a machine would observe humanity so that that's a very analytical word. And there are six series based on six different income situations.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's very interesting. And you can feel that that voice, which is where the poetry comes in. It is that analytical, detached voice in this uh, in this piece and the other ones in the series that make it really work. And then combined with the visual, which is for those just listening, because this is an audio podcast, too, of course, there it's sort of it's a it's a GIF. So it's a moving piece of text with a sort of glitch type um, slide down like an old television set that's a little out of out of whack. Um, And so it's sort of moving all the time.
3: The idea is to fragment the text the same way I have a fragmented identity. I, I belong somewhere between the middle class and the upper middle class, but I don't really know well any of this class. So my identity as a human being is completely fragmented. And I wanted to show this in a visual manner. And to, to, to continue but what Justine was saying, what you were saying, that the beauty and the interest of NFTs for poetry, that we can bring additional dimensions. If you want to represent that on a book, it's going to be hard because it's static. Now you can play on words. You can add some glitch, some destruction effect to the word using the video techniques and the NFT. So... We're going to be able to explore, to push forward the boundaries of poetry using NFT. And that's one of the the great benefits of this technology.
0: Do you have the piece in front of you so you can read it?
3: Yes, let me. I don't have it. So I'm just going to find it. Yes, so I just have it. So that is income six. I would have liked to have friends with a not too different income, plus or minus 20%. The same equally socially valued type of job, the same car category, the same moderately high professional expectations, the same upper middle class type of home in the same relatively affluent neighborhood so we can have politically correct conversations populated with random smiles
0: yeah i just love the way that piece you know works together on so many levels and then the the humor of it too is just delightful so i i love love that voice and where it goes Uh, and that was my favorite one in the series but it's an excellent series and the thing about nfts is that like we were saying earlier you can go you can follow the link or the qr code in the issue um, and go to uh, Pierre's uh, object page and, and look through his profile at all these pieces right now. You don't have to collect them to enjoy them. That's sort of the brilliance and the beauty of NFTs. Or you can check it, of course. in and the And I'm issue super
3: of proud of, of being in this issue. That was one of the proudest moments in my life. So thank you, the Rattle, for this publication.
0: Yeah, really my pleasure. And so, I know you have to go in a little bit. Do you want to share another, another poem too so we can see what uh, other type things you're doing and how it can, can relate to this?
3: sure um so let me open it so I, I i would like to um to share with you um a poem that i wrote in uh 2021 so i created a series of nine poems called the inner life of cryptopunks so um for those who are not super familiar with crypto uh the crypto punks it's a series of 10,000 pixelized characters that were uh, very famous, that are really part of the the history of visual arts right now. And uh, I I wanted to explore what was the personal life of these imaginary pixelized characters, because of course we don't know because they're imaginary characters. So I picked uh, a few of them and I, I try to imagine what their life could be. So is it possible to share the screen, uh, team or not?
0: Can I have uh, CryptoPunk30? Because you sent these, if, if that's easier. Yes, I sent three. So if
3: is it possible that you put one on the screen?
0: Yeah, I have Crypto30, but we have the other one too. I have all the ones you sent, yeah. So people at home are looking at it. But if you want to see, I can... Uh, Allow you to share screen, too. Oops, not share screen. Yeah. So you can share screen now if you want to do it that way.
3: Okay. So so can everybody see the screen? Yep. Okay.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Okay. So this is the, the piece called CryptoPunk 2, which is the, the number of the CryptoPunk. My name is Julia. I was born in Moscow, Russia, when my mom served as a cultural attache at the U.S. Embassy. We moved back to Pikeville, Kentucky after she was fired from diplomatic service for stealing caviar boxes from the ambassador's office. I remember the taste of caviar from these blue round tin boxes. She opened a hair salon in Pikeville and never looked back on her life as a civil servant. I have always felt deeply humiliated that she got busted. I sell drugs to survive and reward myself with a caviar box from time to time. I think I'm a good person and I need love. So I, I was uh, I was always always exploring the the themes of social humiliation, social class, on how a person who are placed in different uh, different social setting can behave can see their parents getting uh, socially humiliated and how it's going to impact them. So that's That theme that is in, in in most of my work. So I don't... Okay, stop sharing.
0: Yeah, well, that was great. Yeah, it's really fascinating to see what you're doing. Uh, thanks again for joining us. I know you have to go, um, but if, you're, if you can come back or, or stay, let her stick around. But let's move on to um let's go to george. thank you thank you
3: so yeah. much folks i'm going to have to go in a few minutes and i really appreciate it to be to be to be with you yeah thank well you so.
0: it's so cool to see your work uh, it's one of the most i think the best blends of things going on that anyone has so it's really neat to see and, and great to talk to you about it There was a uh, pierre jervois of course with uh two poems from one from uh, the current issue of rattle and then also a cryptopunk punk series let's go to george uh, at, at odd writings hi george George I, Pistana, should I should say how are you doing and george's uh, camera's not working but that's all right um so george um we have uh in the issue of rattle has these palindrome poems um and dust to dust is the one dust the tracks if anyone's familiar with it if you've already read the issue of rattle so george wh- what is it that you like about poetry why do you write poems in this way and why do you um why are you drawn to nfts let's talk about that first
4: well um for writing poems in this way i've always loved puzzles and for me it's it's a challenge right to to write something that word by word you can read backwards and forwards and yet still makes sense uh, and so uh i've tried lots of different types of poetry over the years uh just myself i've tried selling my own my own poetry books uh, and uh they they sell very poorly Probably because, you know, people are like, well, George Pistano, who's this guy? You know, it's not, it's not, it's not like I have a, a history of, of, of big publications or anything. Uh, so uh, I also have a background in software development. And so I started to learn about NFTs uh, when they started to come out, uh, generally in cryptocurrency in general. And uh, so I decided, you know, it might be kind of neat to mix the two, to mix my, my hobby of writing poems together with some sort of something in, in the software development field. Uh, and so, uh, so I was doing that and I realized when messing with NFTs that the way that they're set up, I could sell a poem at a time as opposed to having one book that has 50 poems and then attempting to sell a book because I was looking at the, my dismal sales, right? Mm-hmm. And I was looking at the, the yo, I, I spent a year on this book. It's got, you know, you know, 60 poems in there. I've sold three copies, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I imagine
0: poets are all familiar with that.
4: <laughs> yeah. So I, so I imagined, well, what if instead of the, you know, what if instead I had 60 NFTs, uh, you know, perhaps it would be easier for me to sell an individual poem because people might like a particular poem and not another one. And so at first it just, it was another way for me to try to monetize what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as I, as I did that, I was successful. I was successful. I was able to, to sell more of those in the actual books. But of course as i learned more about nfts over time i saw the the capabilities of collaborating with other people uh starting to play with videos and making making videos out of poems and and so on Uh, so that's that's generally how i got into the nft space Mm -hmm. the uh and uh yeah and as for the shape of the poem that was more like a puzzle to me because i I love puzzles so it's a, a way again of mixing in uh puzzle making with uh with poetry
0: yeah well this is just a wonderful poem on its own um, and do you wanna wanna read Dust to Dust? Sure, sure. Okay,
4: here we go. This is it.
0: Dust to dust. Dust the tracks
4: that mouse or men discarded thoughtlessly behind them, left that those of one who cracks the code may hack some clue. A shell's tortoise shambles, a life's conclusion did he rambles. What is false is truth, say disembodied youth. Death their honor forever. Breath their only sometimes companion. Their ages, many struggle to reconcile. Some fear the wages war offers come in coffins, coffers more like. Anyone would ask kings why it is greed bleeds bones, leeching for life on hands feeding poppies by sunlit fields, killing. The dawn crows at cowards, lie still, lie cowards at crows dawn the killing fields, sunlit by poppies, eating hands on life. For bones bleeds greed. Is it why kings ask? Would anyone like more coffers? Coffins? Income offers. War wages the fear, some reconcile the struggle many ages. Their companions, sometimes only their breath. Forever honor their death. Youth disembod- disembodied say, Truth is, fault is what do the rambles. Conclusion life's a shambles. Fortis shell's a clue. Some hack may code the cracks. Who? One of those that left them behind thoughtlessly discarded men or mouse that tracks the dust.
0: Yeah. Again, that was dust to dust uh, from rattle number 80 uh, by George Pastana, AKA odd writings. And George, this is not really an NFT question, but there are only a few poets that I've seen doing palindrome poems. So for those just listening, you might've been able to hear and sense that the poem um, is read forward and then backward, basically. And it's displayed on the screen kind of like an hourglass, which is always fascinating to me because an hourglass is a kind of pal- palindrome too. As the sand filters, you flip it over and you have the same thing over again. And so, so what is the process like? It seemed like it, to, to make it not feel, the language not feel stilted, seems very difficult. And, and the the sentences feel true here. So what is your writing process like for coming up with one of these? How much time do you put into a poem like that?
4: Well, basically the way that I write these, uh, you know, it's changed over time. And the way that I write them is actually a very, a very good clue as to how to understand them. Um, what I do nowadays, I write maybe three or four words. Uh, I spend about an hour, and I think of three or four words that semantically make sense forwards and backwards, right? First off, first off when, I, when, I start the, when I start the poem, I don't know where it's going to go, okay? All I know is that I have a sense of where I want to start and where I want to end, uh, and, and where I want to be in the middle, uh, but I'm not sure how I'm going to get there. So uh, every day after I have my coffee, it's kind of like in the lim- liminal space between when I have my coffee in the morning. I'm not quite awake yet, so I've got my my unconsciousness kind of going. Uh, so I'll, I'll think of three or four words that will work backwards and forwards. I'll write them down. I'll spend no more than an hour doing that. Next day, I do the same thing. Next day, I do the same thing. So, so basically, uh, as I'm doing that, as I'm thinking of the next group of words, I think, well, what can work both forwards and backwards while still making sense? And as I'm doing that, I'm thinking about the words meaning, about the, the various different ways of interpreting the words. And so the, what comes out is the poem, the poem's the meaning of the poem, I discover it as, I, as I'm writing it. And it's very, it goes little by little. And so um, to understand a lot of this stuff, I know if you read it just all at once, it seems it's just hard. It's hard to understand, I think, just like right off the bat. Um, But what you want to do is, is, uh, you know, you should be looking at sections of this poem and compare it to other sections. Um, Like, like, for example, uh, you know, crow's dawn, Uh, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's, it's a crow at crow's dawn, the killing fields sunlit by poppies. Feeding hands-on life. This all this all feels like it's it's kind of difficult, but just think of those those words that I wrote. It took me three or four days to come up with that. And so I'm thinking of the killing fields. Of course, has a, a war reference. Uh, sunlit by poppies. The you know you, you kind of like the the color of the fields. You know you can kind of see them sunlit. Uh, uh, feeding hands-on life. So the, the killing fields, hand-on life. So in this sense, the soldiers that are dying—they're kind of like they're kind of like fertilizer, right? They're, they're dying into the ground, but, they're, but there's life coming out of that. Um, and all these concepts of concepts of death, war—these um, these are things that I think of as I'm coming up with a three or four words, and I'm thinking of double meanings as well. Uh, so so right off the bat, like say dust to dust you know, there's a clear reference there to the biblical thing, you know, you, you from dust to, you, you know, you shall go from dust to dust. It's basically, basically a person's life, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but at the same time, you can interpret that in different ways. The, the, the original sense, the most immediate sense, I think, would be something about war. Mm-hmm. And so disembodied youth, you, you're thinking, you know, people that have died. But there's other ways of being disembodied. Like, for example, you could look at this and you could think of it in terms of drugs, okay? So dust to dust, think of, think of lines of dust. Okay. It's, it's kind of like sort of a cocaine reference, the sunlit by poppies. Okay. Well, from poppies, you can, you know, you, you, you get heroin and there's various things you can, uh, you can kind of get out of your head, uh, and things become illogical. So that's how, that's how, what you have, you know, what is false is truth. There's this sense that, you know, false is truth. and truth is false. So, so essentially, I tried to write it little by little in such a way such that there are multiple interpretations.
0: Yeah, well, that's very fascinating. It's such a complicated poem. And one of the poems that's just so fun to read over and over again, back and forth. Uh, yeah, thanks so much for sharing that, George. And definitely stick around. We might have more questions for you in a little right. bit. Um, let's go next to um, uh, Mark's Swift Patrick, who's been, uh, who does the cover of this issue. And uh, hey, Mark, how are you doing?
5: I'm wonderful, Tim. Thank you very much.
0: Yeah, Mark is um, cries or Chrysifus on uh, Twitter if you want, and he has a great thread if you want to follow him, at Chrysifus, that's C-R-Y, you're going to have to spell it, Chris. <laughs> yeah,
5: C-R-Y-S-P-H-U-S. So it's crypto and Sisyphus jammed together.
0: Yeah, yeah, there you go. And, and so you have a great thread on, on how, um, what this project was and how it came to be, making the cover. But talk a little bit about NFTs and how these all, thing, all these things come together in your work.
5: Uh, sure, yeah, so I got into crypto in, in twenty seventeen, and um, I just immediately fell in love with everything about it. It was this uh, wonderful kind of mix of, you know, for the the nascent polymath in me. It just scratched a bunch of itches. It's, you know the economics of it, the societal impact, the um, the technology, all those things just you know, is endlessly fascinating. So, um, I really kind of you know took the pill then, so to speak, and but can, I didn't really get into crypto aside from just you know buying a bit and just playing around that way. Um, in parallel, I was working on my art in a more traditional sense, so writing poems, self-publishing books. Um, but you know, I, I think I can really re- relate to Pierre and his you know his despair of like this traditional kind of art path where. You know you're throwing your creative output against these you know this structural edifice of you know amazon and just hoping something happens so um uh just by by circumstance i found out about nfts being somewhat still involved in crypto and i started collecting so collecting from digital artists and photographers who had these these really amazing stories and um, it got to know many of them on a one-to-one basis, which is very much outside kind of the traditional way one would engage with an artist. Like you might buy a piece at a gallery or buy their book off a shelf, but there's no real relationship there unless you know you really go above and beyond to try and you know send them an email or something, and then who knows. So the light bulb really turned on for me that as a distribution mechanism, nfts were just you know uh, a margin of of improvement over anything i had experienced before so instead of um, self-publishing on amazon and hoping someone finds it people that engage with my art and purchased an nft uh they can still remain anonymous if they want But on a one-to-one basis you can stay in contact with that person so you can you know airdrop them more art in the future or and, and this is in many cases You'll find that a lot of people um, in crypto, especially artists, are uh, pretty easily identifiable based on the holdings in their wallet of different art that they collect, and that sends you off down different rabbit holes. But you can start finding them on social media, and then you you start to connect with them on a on a real personal level. So it it brings this whole richness of 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 these relationships into the equation that you know before I found NFTs in in twenty twenty one just wasn't really part and parcel of my my artistic life so that really that light bulb moment for me really kind of changed my trajectory from um even as george was talking about like write a bunch of poems publish a book see what happens and you know, try that again to publishing one-off pieces or minting one-off pieces rather and then just engaging with individual collectors that way mm-hmm. and then this this collection from which the cover came from Um, came through that experience that's from my first NFT collection.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting that's something we haven't mentioned and I realize that um, even at the the talk that Katie and I gave at the Haiku Conference, we we sort of skipped over this part because we were trying to cram it into 50 minutes, but 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 one of the beautiful things about NFTs is, you know, you talk about in the poetry world, you talk about how people like me are gatekeepers. That's kind of something that you hear all the time because people are all vying for, you know, for that climbing up the hierarchy of which poets actually get bought and get invited to readings and become professors. And it's it's people who decide to publish you or not that uh, that make that that case and so and we're all always backed by some kind of institution too so there's a sort of big apparatus that's deciding who the poets you've heard of are and one of the great things nfts do uh, is they make curating um, an individual thing. It sort of decentralizes and democratizes that. So if there's somebody who you know, you like their taste, they can have their wallet open. You can look at all the things they've collected and and use that as your, as your own art gallery, your own literary magazine to find things that, you know, so it makes the individual be able to do that in a way that's never been able to be done before. And so, you know, Rattle's purpose is to promote the practice of poetry, which we think of as a spiritual practice. And the more we can get more people Participating in every way possible, including cur- curating, is something that's really valuable, too. So I'm really glad you, you talked about that. Um, it's one thing I keep forgetting to mention, but it's really so valuable that we can make, you know, everybody becomes their own literary magazine with NFT poetry, uh, which is something that, that really opens it up. And if you like somebody, you can follow what they're, what they're appreciating. And, and there's a great way. And it's supporting artists along the way. Um, at every level too but so, so talk about this artwork you were doing because this is for a, a charity project as well it was done with ai which is fascinating too and a lot of there's a lot of controversy with the nft poetry issue and with just nfts and the future of technology in general and so so what what do you think about using ai how are you doing it responsibly and, and what was this project that you're working on that we drew uh, this cover from
5: uh sure so uh the project is called circles of liberation so i'm a a long-time uh, Dharma enthusiast, I guess. Guess you could say, and a lot of um, my poetry has revolved around uh, just Buddhist principles. Maybe not outwardly spoken, but you know, just trying to dwell in paradox and you know impermanence and and whatnot. But these um, this, these pieces are essentially a, a modern take on the enso, which is a, a fairly well-known um, Zen art style of painting these circles, and, and it's uh, traditionally done, it's this sumi ink, so it's like a black ink wash on, on rice paper, um, and that was kind of where the art form got its its um, start, you know, many, many centuries ago. And it's been, it's gone a long way since, like there's a lot of different um, unique takes on the Enzo art form, but I hadn't seen it done with uh, AI tooling. Which is something that um, I have used for poetry to generate interesting turns of phrase and you know expound upon that. but um i I found these these image generators were just really wonderful to work with as someone who's not um, a artistic uh, crafts person. like I know what I like, and I have an eye for curating art that I enjoy, but I'm not a painter, I'm not a sculptor. So these AI tools really are kind of democratizing for people like myself the ability to realize a creation or, or a vision um, that you might have. And so these Zen circles, um, I took some some turns of phrase from various uh, Dharma talks that I've listened to over the years, Buddhist books that I've really enjoyed, and taking these little turns of phrase, like uh, for example, the cover is called "Wave Fixation." Um, so I won't explain it, you know. In a, in a, kind of tradition of Zen, It's you know, something to think about for oneself, but I took that phrase and then um, Enso and watercolor and put it into an AI tool that I use. And it, it produced all these different, very interesting um, outputs based on that. And of course, from there, thousands of iterations later, you kind of hone in on you know what the division was or maybe a surprising turn that the ai kind of takes you down but ultimately that was the um, the collection was the these micro colons or these little riddles inputted into ai to get some sort of a, an output that was that spoke to and uh, so as a, an art form but also were very was very modern in that it, it was going to be on the blockchain and minted and also using these, these AI tools, so it was a, a joy to create. And as you mentioned, these um, all of the uh, proceeds from the sale of these pieces, which they're about halfway sold now, which is great, um, are going to suicide prevention charity. So that's a little bit more about the background of, of the circles.
0: Yeah, well, it's a, just a perfect cover, and I and I this the um it's it's one of the only ones in the series that's an actual wave, and. Um, like the idea of you know, NFTs coming through as a wave. We also had the um, the young poets issue, which or anthology, which came with it, has a, a girl riding a, a like a, a sailboat uh, in the ocean, like that. So you kind of feel like that's pushing and propelling people along too. It's just a perfect uh, metaphor and a beautiful image, especially the way that you made um, the watercolor and the tactile, the tactile uh, experience of it too come across. It's very clear. Um, looking at the cover, the way that it that it works, but it feels, you know, you can't tell the difference between this and an actual uh, watercolor painting if it was a photograph of, right?
5: Yeah, and that's um, one of the things that I was trying to keep in mind is that what if someone wanted to take this image and then reproduce it themselves in the real world? What would that experience be like? So uh, when I was making um, the the text prompts and using the tool, I was really amping up the the high definition um aspects of the the text prompts to try to produce images that if you printed them at a you know fairly large scale, they would come out and look like a watercolor painting, which which again I think is a nice little tie-in back to the the paradoxical nature of just Zen in general is you have this machine cranking out these these you know ultimately everything digital art wise is pixel art. So it's a piece of pixel art yet it is also very traditional and it's um, and how it, it harkens back to the that rice paper texture. So if you were to print these out, it, it has that kind of an impact. So I like that paradox of the machine generating these kind of human-feeling pieces. It's a, kind of a neat tie-in back to the Zen aspect.
0: Yeah, and it, uh, it too, like using technology to make art is not anything new. The Renaissance painters, of course, use, I can't remember what that device is called, but they would look and see you know, on the thing they were painting, an image of something else, or projected on the wall. I don't know if that's that's not camera obscura, right? That's something else. But I think they would, they would have these secret techniques they would be using to make their paintings more realistic, and that the public wouldn't know about it. But it was still those technologies that were allowing them to do different things, and that's what they were exploring. So when you're looking at like a um, you know, a great Renaissance painting. It was probably made with one of those secret at the time technological advancements that that the public didn't know about, but the artists were sharing and copying. And then the you know the paints too, and all those processes. There's really no, you know, we we never get away from technology as artists. I mean, to, you know, every every tool we use is a technology, and so it's an, it's another technology um and you can use it for good and you can use it you know for for bad too you can use it as just a plagiarism machine as well so it's uh important how you do it um is that something that you worry about in using ai um that sort of aspect where it's taking other people's art and and mixing combining that and and
5: yeah in a sense so it's before i uh really started employing these tools in a serious way i, I did a lot of research around it and I think it ultimately um, it speaks back to what Justin was saying about, um, you know, blaming paper for, you know, being able to catch fire kind of have, has that same aspect. And that if you use a responsibly, like you can put in something very specific and do an AI tool, like make me a painting that looks like a Picasso. And then, you know, you're essentially narrowing in on one particular artist. And, and there might be an argument around that while you're just copying um, but there is, uh, so there's a, um, an artist, AI artist, Claire Silver, who has done a lot of um, thought work around the use of AI and doing it, it ethically. And I think my, my take on it is um, if if the images that are being used by the AI tool are so broad in the tens of thousands, I don't necessarily see it as being that much different than um, a typical visual artist, you know, just walking through life and and having inspirations and things that ultimately end up in their work anyway. Uh, very similar to a poet, like, you know, it's kind of a, that old phrase of books are made of other books, mm-hmm. is you can, you know, anything, every artist has their inspirations, including an AI art tool. So um, I think as long as you're not crossing the line um, into copyright infringement or you're um, on the bad side of transformative use, which is um, is is how much you're transforming pieces of art to make your own art, like, is it original enough? And that's kind of what the legal speak for, you know, are you um, breaking copyright or not? I think as long as you're being very mindful of those things, for me, it's game on with AI art. But mm-hmm. I would definitely recommend for anyone who's interested um, in looking at that aspect of it is, is think through all these different issues and and look up Claire Silver. She's done a lot of very deep thought work on this and I think has some compelling things to say.
0: Yeah, well, excellent. Yeah, really well put. Um, And thanks for sharing this beautiful piece of art that, you know, it it took a lot of time to make too. It's not like you just uh, tap something in and AI spits it out. I mean, there's so much that goes into it. Um, so thanks for sharing that. It's beautiful and a beautiful project, too. So if anybody you know can collect, there's still other things available. And all the proceeds go to uh, that suicide prevention group that uh, that Mark mentioned. So thanks, Mark. And, and definitely stick around in case anybody has any more questions. I should say, if anybody has any questions for anybody who's, who's talking, uh, please do leave them in the chat windows. I see a few. Uh, someone who came late asked what NFTs are, the actual acronym NFT. It's, again, it's non-fungible token if you're coming in late. Um, and that means um that it's something that that can't be changed basically that that, uh it's a it's a it's a way to make something unique within a digital space so so digital things are fungible but a token on the blockchain like this is non-fungible so that's the way to think about it i guess let's go next to johnny dean mann who is a contributor with his uh gift the slow gods Um, number six i think is the one in our issue Uh, but he's also the editor of an nft poetry or nft art magazine the tickle so uh Hey Johnny, how are you doing today?
6: Hey, there, Tim. Uh, and thanks for having us and also apologies for turning up late.
0: Uh oh, no problem at all. We things. we got a lot of people to get to, so it kind of works out perfectly anyway. Um yeah, so so tell us about about first of all the tickle and and also how you got into using NFTs as part of what you're doing.
6: Uh yeah, I guess one of the things that um that was touched on just just recently there, um, was this kind of the technology itself being kind of transformative uh, for poets particularly. And I think that um a couple of things I I've always felt that were important about NITs. And the first one I guess is that it kind of takes away some of the some of the negative connotations of self publishing. You know? Um, it's it's a way of self-publishing that has a sort of um it has a kind of more, has a sense of kind of independent kind of publishing in a kind of cool kind of zine kind of scene kind of way, rather than that kind of slightly tragic kind of romance novel that you would get on, you know, Amazon. People self-publishing on Amazon. No offense to any of those writers, of course, but it took away sort of some of the negative connotations of that, which is a really good thing for the for the kind of legions of writers and poets that haven't been published and that are very talented. Uh, also, it was just this kind of democratic process of um, of people being able to share and sell their art. and for and the converse to that as well, of people being able to collect arts and build a collection of art. Uh, normal people, anyone could do it. Um, and I was never an art collector before. And within um, within maybe six months of starting collecting in NFTs, I had you know a thousand pieces of pieces of artworks and, and it was just kind of transformative for me you know and it really completely changed my life uh in in several ways um for writers it's it's really a game changer I think and I'd be interested actually to ask you a question Tim uh, about the kind of reception to the nft issue maybe you've covered this already but uh, did, did you get any kind of negative reactions to it? Was was there a kind of mis- misunderstandings around it?
0: Uh, I don't think, uh, you know, before we did the issue, a few people were like, you know, the NFTs are the devil. And so you are the devil to cancel my subscription. We had a few, like maybe a half dozen people right when I announced that we were doing the issue in the first place. Um, and then of subscribers who actually read the issue, I think people are just very interested. Still, some people were saying it's kind of over their head, too complicated. Um, you know, they don't understand it, but it's it's interesting and they're, you know, curious that we're curious. Um, and then a lot of people have said, you know, wow, this unlocks some new things. I want to look into it, even though it seems really hard. There's a real big um, bar to... to you know entering into the space too you know setting up a wallet and funding it and connecting it isn't as easy as the things we're used to it's kind of like the people who were making websites back in the early 90s you know there's no simple tools yet um for it but that future is coming i think and and i think we'll be seeing this more and more um as we go so it's been a whole array of things but people are mostly interested in this i think a lot of people said you know they they there were some comments that um you know, the, the poems in it are just poems, like they're not some weird thing, which is kind of the point, though, too. It's, it's not really about making poems new, although we can do, there's, there's ways that the technology can advance um, the ways we think about poems and where they exist. But it's more about, about the way we share poems. And, uh, and there's just new opportunities And when you can decentralize the sharing of poems. It, it creates a whole lot of avenues. And one of them is a, a magazine like The Tickle. So tell us about The Tickle and, and how that came to be and, and what it is, too.
6: Yeah, well, it came from that kind of realization one night that, that that we we could do it. We could we could make a little pamphlet initially. It was a very short pamphlet, a few pages. We, we were just talking about it, a few of us, and and we just said, "Well, why don't we do it?" And then we did. And that's that's the beauty of the the kind of NFT technology is that you can do it. It's very quick, and your the reach can be uh, can be great um, if you, if you work it right and it, it's just that um, we'd seen by that point, a few months into the scene, a, a huge array of talented artists and writers. Um, and we just thought that kind of a, a centralized point of reference for that quality of art um, would be fantastic, because otherwise you just have to troll Twitter and you have to follow the right people. And it's very confusing for people who have not had any experience in that before. So we just thought, well, zine culture. You know, it was a thing that I've always been kind of influenced by. Let's just start one, and and we did it. We literally did it overnight, and released it the next day. And it was like twelve pages, um, so- and we put a poem in the very first issue. We've had a poem in every single issue ever since, um, and it's been a very strong kind of principle of mine to to really push push poetry. You know, I I think I've sort of grown up in a time where. Um, Poetry really isn't such a visible part of mainstream culture whereas, whereas I think maybe in the sort of decades in mid mid 20th century was it was uh, a lot more prominent perhaps uh, you know, household names uh, like Ted Hughes and Sylvia Plath and people like that would generally you'd stop someone in the street and they'd probably know who those people were mm-hmm. whereas you wouldn't if you stop someone in the street now they might not know who uh, Alice Oswald was or you know or Mary Oliver and it's and that's a crying shame, I think. and, and I think possibly, this very, very early days, but the, the, the tech, the NFT technology and, and the kind of scene in the, the community in the, the global nature and the diverse nature of it will be something that could lead to poetry becoming uh, more visible in, in mainstream culture, which would be an incredible thing.
0: Yeah, I mean, definitely. That's what I've been trying to do. And it's just hard. It's easy to sort of get, you know, into the poetry culture. Which already exists but to branch out is always really difficult and then you have the problem too of of the things that do aren't really poetry in an interesting way sometimes and so so it's, it's hard to, to find ways to reach new readers in a lot of cases um, can you explain what how the tickle actually works so so I'm, i've been flipping as you were talking i was flipping through a few pages of the most recent issue and as everybody can see you can go to the tickle.art and look at the issues yourself and, and consume all of it for free. It's just right on a website. Um, that w- It functions like a magazine as you're flipping through pages like I am here with all this beautiful art and, uh, and writing to go along with it. But, um, but then people collect it too. And so, so it, it, really it's a great way uh, to explain how that works, how we can shift away from a scarcity economy to a sharing and collecting economy, which is just totally different and really foreign to the people who are used to publishing poetry in the way that we're used to, uh, even though we fail so miserably at the um, at the scarcity economy of poetry. Um, so, so why do people collect and, and how many people collect these issues?
6: We, we try and sort of have a one of the founding remits was accessibility. You know, we we started on uh, on the Tesla. I had a very low buy entry. You didn't need any money to start it. You, you you could just wherever you were, as long as you had some form of computer, you could basically start minting and selling artwork, which was not really the case at the time on on any other blockchain. So that kind of the community built up around that kind of principle, and and so we felt we had to reflect that in some in some way. So the founding remit was always free always accessible at all times and then what the nft technology gives you is a, is a is a way of kind of monetizing the, the the scarcity of the not necessarily the magazine itself but what we started doing after a few months was releasing these subscription tokens so the actual subscription token was a work of art from a guest artist and that was a very limited. Piece and that, if you bought that token, that that work of art, then that would entitle you to a subscription to the magazine. And then you would be sent those. You wouldn't have to do anything all. we just, we just send them to your wallet uh, every week, or as of now we're monthly, so every month. Um, and so we kind of retain some of that scarcity with those tokens, which are very limited. And, and once they're gone, they, they're gone forever. And then you're gone to the next one. Um, but also the magazine itself, you know, the first issue was a hundred copies. Um, we didn't think they would sell out and then they sold out quite quickly. And those are worth, you know, a, a decent amount of tes. No? These days, but it'll go up hopefully. Um, but yeah, there's, there's, you know, the typical magazine publication run, I don't know how many copies uh, the Rattle sells, but, you know, um, we have a few hundred subscribers mm-hmm. and then we release a few for other people to buy. And But they're still quite limited, mm-hmm. you know? So if you wanted to buy one, I mean, people do see the value of that. They, They want a piece of that that kind of history that's kind of in the process of being made, mm-hmm. hopefully, um, it's like an ongoing narrative of the scene. I think the tickle um, people can look back on it, and it's it's just sort of yeah, it's, it's we're cataloging the events of of what happened uh, in in NFTs from not from day one, but kind of pretty much close to it. So uh, it, it serves that purpose as well. And and the website we have the Tickle.R, that you mentioned, uh, we have a search function. You can just type in. Uh, an artist, or you can search each issue, and it would it will ping you straight to the issue that that artist or writer is in. Uh, and like you said, it's all for free, and it's all available. So, yeah, it's an it's an important thing for us. But we also obviously sell enough to keep going mm-hmm. with uh, with the stuff that that has that scarcity value as well.
0: Yeah, and, and it's interesting. I, I think this is a concept that's that's pretty foreign to people, but will not be foreign very soon, because judging by the NFT conferences, I know you've been to the NFC, NFC London you know, all the brands are moving into the space. Eventually everyone's gonna have a wallet on their phone um you know everything's gonna be start to be more and more standardized and then having like going to a uh, taylor swift concert which um we saw we were in cincinnati for the uh the haiku conference last week and taylor swift was there you're gonna get an nft token for that that's unique somehow that's gonna be the way it works it's gonna be your ticket i mean that's one of the things Ticketmaster is big into the nft space um but like if you love coca-cola they're gonna be branding it with nft tokens too in ways to make you know individual connections with their consumers is kind of what 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 um what what companies are going to be doing and so in the process of that everyone's going to be having these wallets and then having magazines delivered through wallets is a perfect mechanism for it and so in a way it's a, it's a wonderful just distribution channel in addition to um all the other benefits i'd say right
6: and, and it's instant as well which is which is fantastic you know, there's no mailing costs there's no you know it costs us a few dollars to send out to a few hundred people every every month and you know that there's there's it's it's clearly the future. It's, we're, we're, it's still nascent technology, obviously. You know, there, are, there will be ups and downs along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I'm happy that we got there early, um, both as, as as publishers and also as as a writer and an artist as well. So yeah, and it's, it's it's a promising technology. But I can I can also totally understand all of your readers who are a bit like what NFTs, and, you know, because the the publicity around it was horribly negative for for the entire history of NFTs, basically. It's only sort of recently started to get a little bit better. Um, Sort of horrendous um, environmental damage and and the energy usage and and all the scams and and all the get-rich-quick schemes. And it it was just, it was really unpleasant for a long time and still is to a certain extent. So I, I can understand and also the AI technology Mark was talking about a little bit and the kind of distaste from people who, who don't necessarily know much about it, or maybe people who do know about it and, and disagree with it. I can understand that. I, I can really can understand that. And the the, the part I had an issue is is, a, is an NFT and it uses uh, AI as well. So there was, um, I can see why people would see that and think like, oh God, screw Johnny Dean, man. He's an idiot. He's just a <laughs> charlatan NFT, he's AI. Ugh. <laughs> but you know, it's it's a technology, as you mentioned. Technology has influenced all of culture um, for all of time, and you either kind of fight it, or you kind of go with it and and just try and see what the future is going to be like. You know, and I, I've always tried to keep an open mind with these things. Um, and with the poem that was featured, uh, I, I did a lot of things that kind of went against all the kind of benefits of AI. Uh, in a sort of contrary way you know the speed and the, the instantaneous kind of uh near instantaneous production of uh you know photorealistic artwork I, I deliberately kind of slowed everything down and made it incredibly difficult for myself as a process and and i think you know this sort of, hopefully there's some extra value in the in the final result because of that but yeah i i, I sympathize with people who hate this stuff but it is gonna stick around um, so it was best to try and figure it out in a in a in a creative way. Uh that that you know, that's what artists do. They figure out new tools and they work with them and they produce stuff that hasn't been made before. So
0: Yeah. Well oh, slow gods number six is on the screen, the actual NFT, uh which rolls out slowly in a GIF. Um and I refuse to say GIF, by the way. But um Maybe. So, so explain uh, explain what you were doing here, and maybe then after you do that, read the poem for people who are just listening to the podcast version. But this is a, a GIF that, um, that that's moving slowly through images which are AI generated, and so we're getting sort of the poem line by line in big block letters um, as the GIF. We have to wait, so there's sort of this like anticipation that's building up as you read it is the best way to characterize the experience, I think. And then it's it's called Slow Gods, and, and so explain it a little bit more what, what you're what you're thinking with this and what you were doing.
6: I guess I'll start with just with the basic process. Um, it, each Slow God's poem is, is based on a, a, a Nietzschean aphorism. Um, and so I would take the aphorism and I would, I would input it into a tool called PseudoWrite, which is an AI tool for writers. Um, it's generally supposed to be used for, you know, you're, you're halfway through a chapter and you put your chapter in a message or a new plot point or a new character trait or something like that, just to. Defeat writer's block, but I just just saw it as a a kind of tool of um, maybe kind of messing with it a little bit. So I didn't didn't input the uh, aphorism and ask it to rewrite it in a a kind of dramatic way or or a poetic way or or a silly way. Um, And that produced a kind of variety of interesting results. And you kind of pick and choose from the interesting lines and quotes that it comes up with. Uh, and then the next stage would be me taking those little bits and pieces and and then rewriting them into what would what would appear to be kind of a more sort of standard poem. Uh, and then when that is finished, I take each line and then I enter it into a tool called Midjourney. Um and then it obviously AI produces images instantaneously, but one thing it's not very good at is maintaining a kind of theme of images across uh, uh several images. So I had maybe 20 30 lines or something and and you've got to kind of wrangle the tools to create a, a, a sort of concise and consistent visual narrative that matches the poem as well and all of that is contained within this um, this kind of prison essentially of the gif which is this fixed kind of um, time interval animation essentially. Uh, so you you just flow down uh one of the defining features of the nft space i think is speed the, especially in the early days the turnaround was just astonishing and you just had to just you felt like you weren't keeping up at all obviously the ai tools the the defining nature of them is speed um and i wanted to just kind of deliberately switch turn that on its head and and make an, an extremely slow process these things take me like three weeks to make uh, and, and lots and lots of iterations. Um, but they're packaged within this container, the GIF, which I think again is one of the most kind of interesting things about the NFT scene was this the rise of this format, which was dismissed as kind of useless. Uh, it's about thirty years old, I think now, um, and it's kind of had a really impressive, beautiful kind of renaissance within NFTs specifically. I think um, as a as a really sort of serious um, way of presenting uh, modern digital art and and so I felt that the, the container of the gift was was very relevant for that as well. Um, there are all sorts of other things that it references. I'm very fascinated with uh, illuminated manuscripts um, and how those are created to, uh, to kind of, the, the function of an illuminated manuscript is essentially to sort of a human striving to represent this kind of sublime incalculability of gods. Um, and so that kind of as well. Uh, stuff I forget to mention when I'm mm-hmm. describing these things, but that's generally the gist.
0: Yeah, well, can you read the poem so uh, people listening can hear it? Uh, okay,
6: so, uh, yeah, slow six. Uh, no strings on me. What a peculiar thing to be free of strings. But let's not focus on that. Come laugh with me, crawling on pointed knees into the world of sleep. No, no, you shouldn't sleep. Sleep is a weak kind of safety. So too dreams full of anxious mess. Stay awake until the sun sets and keep yourself there, there. The sun sets under the water for those within. Their wind is flecked with crab dust from the floor of air and end of line leaves muffling to the mud of their eventual sky. Gravity is merely tradition Motives unstirred by light or sign, a localized past, dry, rain. much as a wilting plant ungreens itself to pieces. It's the shape of done things, strings for you, too.
0: And that was Slow Gods number six by Johnny Dean Mann from Rattle uh, number 80. Thanks, Johnny, for sharing that. And um, I think we're going to actually, uh, Justin Tag has his hand raised, I think, or is that a clap?
2: justin that is that
0: is applause <laughs> <laughs> that is applause. see people don't usually Supported use the johnny. icons on uh, zoom so i wasn't sure <laughs> um but yeah thanks for sharing that johnny and and let's go to dick westheimer next then uh, we haven't heard from dick yet and he's kind of the perfect uh poet to round it out because dick came in um as um kind of skeptical and curious i guess you could say and uh, so so dick what did you why did you come into this and and you know because of seeing this on the Rattlecast, everybody knows who watches the show that you've been in a whole bunch of issues and you're always on the open lines we all love you and um but but you heard that we were doing this NFT poetry issue and thought you'd try it out and and you got Katie to help you um you know get started and then you started doing your own work so so what did you think about it and and what was your experience like trying it for the first time
7: um well first I wanted to try it out because I heard, you know, Katie talking about it and you were proposing it. You've had all these tribute issues which have sort of broken new ground. Um, And I thought I'd I'd try to join the community and and check it out. Actually, I probably didn't quite understand at the beginning how much of a community it is Mm -hmm. because it really has this uh, social network quality to it that the more you're engaged in it, the more the the, the more your work gets around, the more people who see your work. But I but yeah, frankly, that, that was it. The, let me close out my screen. I'm distract distracting myself here. Um uh so uh, th- that was really it I wanted to try it. Uh, I'm a what I guess I would call a page poet. I've never written something with a multimedia uh, view of the world. Um, in mind, try to include all the images and 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 I think um, uh, you know the breaks and startles that you might get an individual image inside the poem. But I wanted to experiment with a few poems and see how images might enhance them. Um, and 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 that part of it I really became engaged in, just buried in as I was doing the work. Uh, so that's what attracted me to it: is this capacity to combine media with my essentially already written page poems
0: yeah well maybe we should um take a look at the poem that you did because your poem is i think it's the only one here with maybe slow gods had audio too now that i think about it that i didn't click on it i can't remember but yours has audio and we could just play it and um enjoy it as it is as an nft it's a it's a one minute long poem so why don't you just uh just uh Listen, you won't be able to hear it play through Zoom, but uh, it'll be playing for everybody else at home. So let me just, here is Dick Dick Westheimer's poem for everybody who hasn't gone to the link yet and heard him read it there. Um, here we go. This is um, Sometimes a Poem. Sometimes a poem just wants to go out on the
7: town, draw a pink boa around its neck, sip some gin. Sometimes it wants to show a little skin flash a bare leg, make the boys swoon, and other times wear its mini pearl hat with its price tag dangling down. And sometimes a poem just wants to lounge around in sweats and fuzzy slippers, pop open a brew or two, speak in few words, listen to its heart beat, and maybe yours, its head, on your chest, whispering,
0: yeah, I mean, it's true really, that that's just a great poem, uh sometimes a poem by Dick westheimer and um and it and it was cool to see though the the way that you use the images for those uh just listening to the the podcast version the poem uh reveals itself, oops, I gotta delete it. The, the poem reveals itself sort of line by line and then, um and images from the poem sort of appear on the screen first big and then and then filling up the screen as you go so so what was it like to to decide to to make a video like that and and how you would you would you would present the poem that way, how you'd played it, so to speak
7: um it, it was really experimental. It's much like writing and poetry itself is just experimenting and and uh, becoming familiar with the tools that I have on my on my desktop to see how um, how to bring the poem to life for me. And I just started looking for images and trying to. Fig- I'm not a I'm not a technic you know a visual artist, but seeing if I could figure out a way to arrange them in such a way that complemented. Uh, the poem. So I would say that that part was very much just the the part of being a creative and 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 engaging and and, and embracing the opportunity to bring a different form of creativity uh, to to the poetry. But as I said, it it sort of started with me searching for the poems as opposed to me having, as I've heard many other people talk about, sort of a a holistic view of how the art would unfold.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's just, it's really interesting to see you trying new things. And, and what was your take on the setup process? Is it something that you think, you know, you're, you're, you, you, made this video poem on your own and you do a lot of technological stuff. You have a website and things like that. You try new things. Is it something that was difficult to make a wallet and connect it to the thing and, and post it on object, which is where this was published? Was that something that you think at the moment, like what do you think the admission price is for a poet who wants to try it? Is it too hard? Is it with the instructions from from Katie on her website is that enough to learn how to do it or do you need personal help?
7: Um I needed personal help. Uh-huh. And I and I'm not sure, you know, had there been a compelling uh another you know enough of a compelling reason I'm sure I could have figured it out, but as you said I'm a pretty, you know, technologically engaged person uh you know i found the i've never done a video sort of unfolding thing before and figured out how to do that so obviously i you know had the patience for it um but i find it's very difficult for me to sustain
0: Mm
7: -hmm. um you know the wallet crashes sometimes i have to go back and re i forget what it's called when you link things back up together um i find it um I have found it difficult to sort of find a community. Um, I didn't spend a lot of time doing it, but there were sort of no, you know, on all the social media platforms, you can get pretty savvy as to how to build a, you know, a presence and to find your, your people in various, you know, Instagram and Facebook and used to be Twitter. Um, But I had, I found I had difficulty like finding my way not to, people I wanted to be engaged with, but work I wanted to be engaged with. Mm-hmm. So uh, that that part was actually, in some respects, the harder part to find my way into the world. So I was really uh, glad to hear about, and I now all of a sudden forget the name of the journal. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was John.
0: John Dean Mann. Yeah.
7: yeah. Um, and I know that folks have talked about that in the past, maybe on your um, um the program you and Katie do on Twitter. Um, But I'll try that, you know, I'll look look at Tickle and see if there's a way for me to get inside, not just a curated group, but to find poets or or artists that I'm interested in. But so far I've found the barrier to entry is I wanna write poems, I've learned how to submit poems, Mm -hmm. Um, I've learned how to read, I'm learning how to read poems, which is, you know, part of the process of becoming a poet. Um, folks, and maybe it's an age thing, only have a certain amount of bandwidth.
0: No, I know. I <laughs> believe me, I know that. So, <laughs>
7: yeah, and 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 so one of the things I know somebody on the uh, I've been you might notice that I'm over here engaged in the uh, YouTube chat is somebody said, "Well, what happens when Amazon? You know, when it's that kind of platform that that is, you know, actually has a universal sort of sense of how the interface works." And I know that you've talked about sometime in the future, blockchain might be that, but it might not. What are existing platforms that this could fit into? And that might be a place where it would become more appealing to me. But right right now, um, you know, I want to write poems. I want to read them in journals. I want to find journals that curate um, uh, collections of poems that I'm interested in and then submit to them. You know, that's one of the magic, the things that's been so wonderful about Rattle for me is that it, for years, it felt like my reading home. So mm-hmm. feeling like it's a writing home is is a really powerful attraction to it. And I've not yet found that, in any of the sort of the, um, uh, the blockchain sorts of things.
0: Yeah. Well, that's definitely true. And and I wonder, does anybody have any thoughts? Um, just raise your hand or like nod if you want to chime in about that question because that was something that came up in the in the chat window that was really interesting and i'm not sure the answer one thing i i did think was that being at nft nyc amazon as far as i know was not there which i think maybe to me told me maybe that amazon is afraid of what this might do to their business model as far as books but um does anybody have any thoughts about that katie's raise your hand i wanted to go to katie anyway uh, because she's the only poet we haven't shared poems from. So what what do you think, Katie, about uh, about Amazon? Is Amazon going to start doing NFTs? And I don't know, what did you think about the fact that they weren't there? Because that, that, I think that was a very telling thing with so many other brands, you know, trying to figure out how to use that for, for marketing and whatnot.
1: I'd say huge companies tend to be fair weather friends of crypto. And we are in a bear market. And it is not a cool time to go to your board and be like, hey, let's get deeper into <laughs> cryptocurrency. I think it's a big part of it. But I would ask the question, do you want to buy Bitcoin now or do you want to have bought Bitcoin 12 years ago? Because that's the kind of situation we're in now. We're early. And I don't want to be the person also that looks in five years and like, ah, I could have gotten into NFT poetry. There are like some some names that are in art galleries or, you know, it's already happening with Sasha Styles being auctioned by Christie's um you know you want to get in early and help build the market and help build you know do you want the nft poetry to be amazing poetry then great pull all your friends in which is why i wanted to get dick westheimer as an NFT poet because i want to help the quality of NFT poetry go up too this is not something where we should just arrive and say like hey i don't like what's on the menu let's change the menu let's make the menu better I'm hungry, obviously, don't need lunch.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does remind me. I mean, that's the thing. It reminds me of... You know, early on, I used to be I used to have listservs because it was like all these like sort of mind blowing ideas and conversations that you couldn't have in real life. In the 90s, you could have on these like listservs for different things. And, you know, most people had no idea what we we're even talking about. Like, oh, it's the Internet. There's a server and you can like you talk to people over the world if they're in Japan at some university. They still comment and then you can go back and forth with these ideas right. and people are like, what's going on? And then the same thing I was on early on LiveJournal. Um, and, and, you know, back before that was sort of like the early social media almost because you'd, you'd post your journals before even MySpace and you would post journaling with like photos and things and communities developed. And that's where I kind of learned how to do poetry in the first place is poetry groups on LiveJournal, believe it or not. And in and coding, too, I learned that way. And so you sort of being early on where nobody knows what they're doing. Yeah. They're just sort of energy involved in it. And I think that's where we are here, where people who have that energy and want to, you know, f- make something new are exploring it. And so, you know, if it's not for everybody, then that's totally fine. But but I think eventually, in the same yes. way that everybody who, you know, once once Facebook opened, I remember the Live Journal sort of groups we had were like, "Oh God, Facebook, we're not leaving Live Journal, are we?" But then slowly, <laughs> everybody trickled over to Live or to Facebook, and it was sort of like the death of that free spirit that that you know it came with that first thing where there were these weird you know groups that covered all sorts of topics you never heard of, and you got to meet these yeah. strange people of the world, you know. And now it's sort of like you know, political posts and cat photos. <laughs> and so, <laughs> uh, you know, and, and so, so we're at the early edge of that. Um, I think for yeah. sure. And so it is hard to access and maybe that's a benefit, uh, in, in one that's, strange way. Yeah.
1: It's an opportunity because the barriers to entry are higher right now. So that when, when there are all these reasons not to do something, um, there's more of a reason, in my opinion, to do something by and large. So the fact that everything is not seamless and easy, once it is seamless and easy, guess what? Everybody's going to be doing it and you won't be an early adopter and you have an opportunity, in my opinion, to do that. And I want to talk about submission a little bit too, if that's okay. Yeah. It's something that we haven't covered yet. Um, I think Mark Fitzpatrick did an awesome job talking about community and the ability to like, so for example, when you mint an NFT chat book, Right, I know every single. I have a wallet address for every single person that that collected that chapbook, and I can airdrop them a poem. Just because, even if I don't know their name, if they're anonymous. So I just want to say that because it's something I'm really excited about. And then also one of the absolute best aspects about NFT poetry, and this was why I I basically found it was. It's a way to self curate or, or publish your own poetry, and that's really poetry that you own. So I don't have to stop myself from sharing a poem on Twitter because I want to wait two years to have it not in Rattle, which is has a much faster timeframe. But for a lot of poetry magazines, I don't want to wait. I want to get my poems out there, and I think that's super important because when when poetry journals don't allow you to submit poems that you're sharing on like your personal blog social media, what they're basically doing is saying, hide your poems, don't put them out there. And that is the antithesis of what we should be doing if we want more people to get into poetry. So NFC Poetry is super exciting because I can tweet this poem and then I can mint it. And guess what? Some people might even like it more because they saw it on Twitter. So that's one of the reasons I'm supercharged about it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. And that's why in the, our talk in the Haiku Conference about the future of poetry, we included that whole curation you know, versus publication angle. And we should say, you know, what we're doing as publishers is actually curating poems. We're picking the poems that are worth sharing in our opinion and and making Mm -hmm. them, we're highlighting them and spotlighting them. And so at Rattle, we only accept previously uncurated poems, but you are free to publish them yourself anywhere you want. And and it just gives Mm -hmm. power to, to people to share poems and make poetry more vibrant, which is all we're really trying to do with Rattle, which is why it just connected so well with Rattle's mission to to promote the practice Mm -hmm. of poetry, want people to be learning about their lives, exploring the world through language, um, through the the connection that we have to words, which is really deep and historic and powerful and, uh, you know, part of who human beings are. Um, But Katie, you're the only one who hasn't shared a poem yet. So do you want to (laughs) share, do you want to do, do you want to do M-Dash or do you want to share a different poem? Yeah,
1: I'll share M-Dash. So M-Dash is the one in the issue, as just said, and why I think it's interesting is because it's, well, it's a love poem. It's a poem for Emily Dickinson, because I, I like the idea, too, about thinking about if Emily Dickinson had been able to put her poems up as NFTs, if she would have made that choice um, or not. And then also, it's in Ars Poetica that directly confronts um, NFT poetry itself. So it's kind of like reads like a love poem also to NFT poetry and how I feel about it. Um, so this is called M-Dash. There is an ache inside me that has but space for two, a poem that lives beneath my ribcage and a little room for you. Yet I cannot know what this old umbrella will do till we stand under the rain, feel this new spray blow through.
0: Yeah. And that is a M dash and that's written on a photograph that you yourself took inside a, uh, a mine. And, uh, and, and so it's the combination of art and poetry, much like Haiga which is another thing. Before we sort of move on, we we were at a haiku conference last week talking about this stuff because it so fits so well with what haiku poets are doing too. So can you talk a little bit about that? Maybe read one. Is there one of your um, crypto coup that you want to share? Maybe the one that was on that slide. Sure,
1: uh, I'll share the the one that I put into the into the haiku conference thing. So yeah, so crypto coup basically. So I, you guys who know me know I love haiku, and I also love changing anything into a coup at the end. So, <laughs> so cryptocurrency plus haiku equals crypto-coup. So uh, this is just like a the collection I'm doing of trying to show how simply you can put forth poems and still have it work as an NFT. So crypto-coup number eight is just this one. That's the four seasons, raise and Lower Bows, String Quartet.
0: Yeah. And, and so, you know, <laughs> there's this long tradition of haiga, um, you know in 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 Haiku, which is the combination mm-hmm. of visual art and poetry, and then there 's also um, Haibun we had a Haibun film festival at the uh, Haiku conference, which there were these beautiful little mini documentaries or different or films um, where the mm-hmm. haiga would be presented in various different ways. I think that the first that was Dave Bontu, who should be a guest on the Rattlecast at some point. I told him he could yeah. be, and then I totally forgot. So he's going to be the guest. We'll, we'll talk <laughs> about that at some point. Um, but, but there's really interesting ways that you can share through, through other mediums besides for just the text. One of the things that, um, that, that Thinking About NFTs has done for me is think about the way this, the shape of a page shapes the shape of a poem. Like it's mm-hmm. almost like a like a sonnet is a perfectly centered on a on a regular piece of paper with a perfect amount of white space around it. And kind of that's why we make poems the size we do and the shape we do. And there's mm-hmm. just so many other ways we can present poetry, which is just the music of speech creating meaning. And so um, but but haiku um, really worked perfectly with that and a lot of haiku poets are experimenting with that, too. So it was really interesting to see um yeah so thanks for sharing those let's see we are we we said we'd be about this amount of time and we still got to do the open lines which i'd like to do um let's see were there any other so so there's a question here from john atkinson which is something i haven't thought about so we talked about the energy costs um a little bit and um and one of the things you know, one of the things you, you hear is that, that cryptocurrency is terrible for the environment. That blockchains just use a lot of, of electricity and water. And there's the, the truth is that there's two different kinds of of doing a blockchain. There's proof of stake and proof of work. Um, the um, one of them is very energy intensive, which is Bitcoin, and makes it super super secure. Uh, but there is another way that uh, that things like Tezos and other blockchains use that are really it, it takes a fraction of a percent of the amount of energy that. Um, that uh that bitcoin does so there's that aspect of it but but john Atkins said we're about who will pay the cost of maintaining the blockchain in the future so is there anybody of, of who's still here who has any thoughts about that about there is a thing you know there's a way that you know if you wrote your um there's there certain ways that you make files like i have i have certain files which are it's terrible to admit but i still use quark express to make rattle the actual issues of Rattle. It's this program that like nobody uses anymore because everybody uses InDesign. But I have all the templates there, and it's just so easy to keep doing it the same way. And I'm dreading the day that that they stop having updates and it stops working with fonts, which is like you can see it coming. Uh, I'm going to say move over to InDesign and like redo all the all the templates. But but there is this way that that we lose the ability to even play some things over time. And and to, blockchains do require networking to maintain. Does anybody have any thoughts about that? About about how how stable it really is when it, you're relying on um, these networks that have been set up by, by other people. Does, does anybody have any thoughts about that? Just raise your hand. Yeah, Mark Fitzpatrick is right there, yeah.
5: Yeah, so and um, one thing I would say is that the energy um, debate is a lot more nuanced um, than the headlines. So you might see headlines about uh, how Bitcoin, which is, the, of course, the, the primary example of being a, a proof of work, blockchain that takes a lot of energy to keep producing new blocks Um, there's a lot of of different things going on around that for harnessing energy that previously would have gone to waste where um, let's say in like a lot of uh, rural areas where they're producing power but too much that's more than that's actually required to run whatever infrastructure is in that area so there's just a lot of, of waste of potential energy so um, those, those areas or those, um, those power grids can set up Bitcoin mining um, infrastructure to then harness that wasted energy, which then becomes monetized. And they can use that, those extra funds to, for any, any purpose, hopefully, to, um, to either upgrade their infrastructure to be more efficient or, or um, climate change programs. So there's... There's a lot of um, since since Bitcoin has that and proof of work blockchains have that um, that economic output of the coins that they're producing being worth something. You know, as long as people agree they're worth something, then there is there are these economic incentives to to actually make use of what previously would have been wasted energy, and so that 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 discussion has a lot more nuance than what the headlines. Um, admit to. So I, I definitely recommend people do their diligence around that uh, a little bit further, but it is something that uh, is, is important to consider. But I think about blockchains and in like 100 years from now, 300 years from now, will the poems reproduce today or the art we produce today it might be stored on the blockchain, but how do we keep these things going even if they are just net drags on the environment, let's say they are 300 years from now. Um, I think if there is, uh, I think it's, it's just an evolutionary kind of argument to me is that if these blockchains are a value add to humanity at large, then in hundreds of years from now, they will still be around. And if they are a net cost to civilization, then they will evolve or um, they will go away. So, you know, Ethereum is a great example of a chain that went from proof of work to proof of stake. And, you know, they essentially flipped a switch where overnight it went from one to the other. And instead of consuming the energy, you know, that a small country would, you know, day after day, it went down to, you know, maybe a a small data center. Mm -hmm. Like that amount of energy, it was, you know, it was almost mind blowing. So I think there's, it's a very nuanced conversation, but uh, definitely one that's important. And I think evolution will kind of get us to the right place. You know, a hundred years
0: from now, kind of on that time frame. Yeah, I mean, it really is well said. And you know, when people think about like the immortality of something, I always think about the fact that you know, go read Chaucer. (laughs) How long it takes to get used to the way people spoke. Eventually, we won't even be speaking English. We'll have some other language, you know. And then, of course, the you know, there'll be no paper, and who knows what the future is going to hold anyway. And then, eventually, the sun is going to become a red giant and consume the Earth and spit us out as like a barren wasteland of rock and. You know, I mean nothing lasts forever. The big crunch or the big chill or whatever's gonna happen. So, I mean, you know, you gotta think about your timeline and, and I, I think blockchain will be around for at least the next, you know, decades. And so how long are we, are we gonna be around to to appreciate it? But but yeah, that's a good point. Thanks for sharing that, Mark. And then uh the other thing I wanted to talk about, if anybody has any questions on that, and maybe it's just Mark too, um, is, is the is um, you know, if somebody buys the uh what you've minted, right, if they're collecting that. Um, what does that mean for copyright? Um, I I th- I know everybody here knows the answer to this, but but who wants to talk about the the way what it means? If you what are they actually buying if they're buying and collecting something, a poem that you've written? Um and what does that mean that you know can you still publish it in a book, for example? Does anybody want to take that question? Because that's something that came up in the in the chat a little while ago. Katie, you want that? <laughs> Katie does not want that. Anyone? Well, yeah, and so um it, it's uh the same the same thing as, you know, if you have, sell someone a copy of your book, um, you know, that doesn't mean you can't use the poems. Anyway, the intellectual property is still property. I don't know how it works in every country in the world, but countries usually use the same thing. And we are under the um, copyright act 1976, which as soon as you create something that's original and new, you own the copyright to that, that's intellectual property, you carve that up and decide what to do with it. The NFT itself that you make, is, uh, is something that's made can be sold in the same way a print of a painting is, but you still own the painting. Um, you still own the right to that thought or that book or that collection. And so you can still make books as Katie did. She uh, minted her watering can chapbook with Alexandria Labs, which is a collectible NFT. I think there are 25 copies, if I remember right. Uh, most of those are sold. But then she went ahead and made um, made her own um, Chatbook version of that, and you can still do that. Uh, there's a whole bunch of ways you can go about AI copyright. As Johnny Dean Man is, is messaging us, is a very interesting aspect of it too. A lot of it is complicated. There are a lot of gray areas in the world because you know it's te- you know the law doesn't keep pace with technology. So there was a, it took a long time for fair use to shake out. In a lot of ways, it still hasn't. With like the way Shepherd Fairy uses um, repurposed images was using Facebook, uh, just just posting Facebook picture or not or instagram pictures i should say and then recontextualizing them and calling it art and then you know a judge has to decide because there are gray areas all over the place there are a lot of really fascinating angles which we of course can't cover today um last call if anybody has any questions um let's see so i think um you know we've covered a lot of ground hopefully everybody has enjoyed poetry is there anything anyone else wants to say? katie is raising her hand katie what do you want to say
1: Hi, I want to say there was a question I noted in the YouTube chat earlier that I thought we should answer if uh-huh. we have a minute. Yeah, And I wrote it in horrible handwriting. So hopefully I'm like <laughs> able to read that. Emily asked, does the value of an NFT depend upon how many times it can be bought? And I thought that was a really good question. So there are different ways with, with an NFT. So you can create what's called a one of one, which is like, George Persona's poem, Odd writings poem that he read, which I know because I own it, because I bought that poem. And so that's called, that's a one of one. So there's only one of those that exists, which means I own the only one. But then something that happens a lot is like, um, with my poem that's in the issue, I made a hundred of those. So there are a hundred editions of of that. And so I price that a lot lower than if there was only one of those. And then a further question, which may have been what Emily was actually referring to is, So I can take George George's poem that I own and I can put it for sale, which I'm not going to do yet. But I could put it for sale at a much higher price, obviously, because I got a really good deal on it. So I could put it at a much higher price. And then what happens is that Guess what? Some of that goes back to George, to the poet, as it completely should, which is one of the most exciting aspects about NFTs in general, not even just with NFT poetry. So great question, Emily.
0: Yeah, it's a great point. And, and it, that, that's where it becomes. The one thing that I, because I've done this too, um, I could show, like, let me just go over it really quickly. We've really got to go to open lines, but <laughs> let me go. We'll go to, to my like profile on Tezos. And so I've minted a few poems myself. Uh, mostly mostly haiku or, or um, you know, hi, or, yeah, haiga, because it's like visual haiku too. But you can see here, um, yeah, there's me, and then there's some uh, some stuff that I've minted, <laughs> stuff that, you know, I've listed things, One, some one-on-ones I don't expect to sell at all. I listed it for like 250 bucks, But for um, for some haiga, I've made five copies of it and minted, and listed five, or minted five, and i am selling them for five Tez each, which is like four bucks now at this point. Um, and so, and you know, a bunch of those have sold, and it's just a fun thing to do and and you nobody knows yet what the best how to go about this which goes back to what we were talking about before we're it's the early days of this technology and using it for sharing writing nobody knows what they're doing or what the best way to go about it is you know you can look at who's successful and Sasha Styles is probably the most successful building a massive audience um through through networking and doing c- c- you know uh, collaborations with art galleries and visual artists that already have a presence and the verse verse is something I shout to that both the two poets Anna Maria Caballero and um, Sasha Styles that we'll have on for their own shows um, are working with the Verse Verse, which is something that works on this um, and out of morning poets like Denise Duhamel, who today's poet is, um, also did a, an NFT poem with the Verse Verse, as did um, some other poets we've worked with. So there's just a lot of ways and nobody knows what they're doing yet. And that's kind of the fun. Everyone's just throwing stuff around, seeing what works, seeing what makes um, it, a better way to share poems and, and seeing what the possibilities are.
1: that's a really great point just like i mean when johnny d man started the tickle now i think it's been two years like there wasn't a model i think that he was following for doing it he just got out there and started creating and that's part of why i love this community so much is it is full of people who want to be innovative and who are thinking about how to expand poetry which is something that even for people who are still skeptical about nfts if you don't think nfts are the answer for poetry like i clearly obsessively do then what do you think the answer is to make poetry more more mainstream or get it into the collective consciousness on a bigger level? Because I want that answer too.
0: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, really well said. And I know you're going to stick around for the open lines, and Dick is too, but anybody (laughs) else is also welcome. And I will say too before we go on to the open lines that – yeah, you know, for, for Rattle, somebody asked what Rattle's doing if we're going to do another NFT issue. And no, we never repeat our themes. We have thousands of things that we want to do in the future. But I, I am thinking about ways that I can incorporate this technology to share poetry with more people. One of the things I'm thinking about doing, we had ebooks with Amazon for a long time, but I hate working with Amazon. And so I'm thinking about trying to work with Alexandria Labs, and we've talked about it a little bit, to, to have a way to distribute Rattle as an ebook in a better way than Amazon. Um, and one of the real big problems lately, since the pandemic, international shipping has been ridiculous. So there's certain countries that get their copies, but like if you're in India or if you're in, in Indonesia, if you're in Australia, you, you it's like fifty-fifty if the poem if the magazine ever reaches you. So I think I'm, I'm making NFTs token gated, maybe in a way for um, for um, international subscribers to get their subscriptions instead of having to rely on the mail and shipping the things around the world. I'm not sure exactly what we're going to do, but we're still, you know, we're trying to make connections and seeing what we can because our purpose is to share poetry and promote the practice of poetry, which we think the whole world is a better place if if more and more people are doing it for so many reasons. And so that's what the, the future holds. We're not doing an NFT poetry issue, but we might work in different ways making NFTs and tying them to artists and who knows what. So You know, any way that seems like it's going to work for us, this was an experiment doing this issue, and we learned a lot, and we're going to keep experimenting like we always do. So thanks to everybody for joining us today. Uh, I was really, uh, you know, sorry if we didn't get back to you, but it was just great talking to you and having you on for for a bit and getting to share your perspective on NFTs. Hope this uh, experience with uh, this issue was a positive one and I um, hope a whole lot of people learned about it because it's something that a lot of people don't know very much about. So thank you for being here and for doing and exploring all that you do. Um, now we're gonna go on to the open lines and uh, let me put this on the screen so you can see how it works. So. It is a little late for open lines. We only have about 45 minutes at the very, very most, so it's definitely going to be one poem each today. But if you'd like to share a poem, email it right now to openmic, that's openmic at rattle.com, and then find the Zoom link and join all these fine people, whoever's um, able to stay for the Zoom link. I'm going to paste it in the chat windows on Facebook and YouTube. Email your poem to me at openmic.com. OpenMIC at rattle.com, then follow this link. Only if you want to share poems. We're gonna keep streaming on YouTube and Facebook. But if you want to share a poem, email it there and follow the zoom link and share it. I found okay. Anyway, we're gonna take a quick break, I'll be right back with the open lines. And we're back. Thanks so much for your patience. The prompt last week, plus two. Oh, that's the problem. Right. The propery last week was to write an ode to an object in the room you 're sitting in right now, and so I tried to write a poem I was at the uh, on a plane while I was trying to write and um Try to write about an object on the plane. And this poem is one of those things. So I judge poems, the quality of the poem, based on how much it surprised me and how much it came to some kind of new thing. Because so often, if you learn how to do this poem thing, you kind of get into this meditative zone where something new emerges that you're surprised by. And it's like, oh, I didn't know that connection. And that's how I judge the quality of poems. This did not work. It did not work at all. Um, But in the interest of sharing things that even when they don't work, this is my ode to the no smoking sign on commercial airliner. So the first when I flew out to Cincinnati, we had the regular no smoking sign, which I've seen every single time I've flown an airplane my entire life. Always illuminated. This time that sign was gone for the first time. I always wondered how long because nobody's going to smoke like when's the last time you saw someone smoking. But um, but always those signs are lit. And on the new Airbus, like, whatever it is, A416 or whatever the heck I was on, no more no-smoking signs. they are just a few around and, like, like, you know, not lit up. Instead, they have something different. So this is my ode to the no-smoking sign on commercial airliners. Ode to the no-smoking sign on commercial airliners. No one was smoking. No one had been smoking for some time. Oops, here, let me see the video, too. Let me start over. There you go, there's me. Ode to the no smoking sign on commercial airliners. No one was smoking. No one had been smoking for some time and still you glowed over all our domestic flights, two by two in a line, row by row, over the old man nodding and flinching half asleep, over the infant's cantankerous cry, your crimson knot, a kind of halo, a knot of unblinking illumination, a badge of bloom in the edge of the eye. Fasten your seatbelts. we were told with a ding, but you were the thing always on. You said no one would fly without smoking, but now it's July, the airplane is full, and you've flown off, skimming the clouds like frozen smoke, no longer needed, and you're in place a new sign for new vices. Please turn off your electronic devices. See, that's just kind of too on the nose. Yeah. Anyway, that was my poem. Didn't really go anywhere, or anywhere unexpected anyway. So if I was doing the Critique of the Week, I would say, find something better. But anyway... What would you like to share? And let's not go to the, the poets um, who have been on already so far. Let's go to the, the new open liners. We'll come back if we have time, of course, to everybody. And let's go to Laura Daniels first. And I think we, Laura Daniels, we've already been on once before, maybe. Hey, Laura.
8: Ah,
9: uh,
0: yes, we did a um, critique. Ah, yeah. that's right. Yeah, that's the yeah. thing. Okay, well, great. To, Bye, thanks so much for joining us. And so you had some, oh, I'm sorry, go on. Oh, oh, no, no, go ahead. What?
9: You had I had sent this poem in as a poetic response, and you you had sent back some, encouraging me to come on the open mic. Uh, so yes, I said,
0: yeah. So glad you're here. So, what was the the response? This is a prop poem, or uh, or wh- well, what was the what was the inspiration for this poem? Let's say that
9: the inspiration was um, in response to North Carolina is is passed a bill that was going to start on July first um, to to. Limit abortions to the first twelve weeks, which is, you know,
0: mm-hmm.
9: and and there was a lot of protest back and forth to to try to stop it from being uh, put into into law on the on the first.
0: Yeah, okay. a lot. yeah. Well, great. Well, let's hear it. And also inspired by Jimmy sentio Bacchus, who understands me, a poet. If you're curious, we interviewed him in Rattle. I don't know, 60, maybe. So go back and look, but he's a, a fascinating person. One of the most interesting interviews uh, we've ever had. In the had. 1960s? No, I mean, uh, in issue number 60. So oh, okay. like maybe, maybe three, four years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Because he was, um, yeah. Cause, cause he was, a uh, he learned poetry and really reading in prison. And so, um, it's just such a fascinating and empowering story that he had to share. But anyway, let's hear this, uh, this poem, Laura.
9: Okay, great. Thank you. This is, uh, it's entitled question authority and and like tim said it's inspired by jimmy santiago Baca's who understands me but me they wanted quiet meek and mild but i was loud and clear they said to hold all questions but i raised my hand wanting to know they said to sit down in the back but i stood my ground up front they denied my body's freedom and i fought for what was mine alone They denied me dignity and respect, but I will earn it in the end. I won't keep quiet, never could, never will. I question your authority, your knowledge. I stand with others who rise in protest. I fight for a woman's right to choose. Who understands my fight but me? I want to live a beautiful, dignified life. Who understands me when I say this is beautiful?
0: Excellent. Thanks so much. Yeah, that was Question Authority by Laura Daniels, something I always do. (laughs) Thanks for sharing that, Laura. And uh, let's go next to, um, let's go to Brian O'Sullivan. Hi, Tim. Hey, Brian. How you doing? I'm doing really good. It was really fun to listen
10: to. Thanks to all the NFT poets. That was great. Yeah. So what do you have uh, to share with us? Okay. So I have a prompt-ish kind of poem. It is um, not too an object that was in the room, uh-huh. but to a person that was in the room.
0: All right.
10: Um, but it's ode It's an anniversary poem, actually. Oh, perfect. So it's called Our Cats and Other Essentials, after Major Jackson's Superfluities, to Jen for our 22nd anniversary.
11: Uh-huh. <laughs>
10: um, the, uh, this walk to Sugar Moms as we fall behind the group This fed a chicken, that cab I don't call. This shambling mound wherever he is, this bumpy bus, this tom through the window, this nanny, this flora, this hissing Milesy, this bell with a crack, this champagne cork, this General's Inn, this dress and tiara, that noisy train, this turtle soup, this icy windshield, this stone cat, this Romanian choir, this voodoo bowl, this blessing of cat boats, this Ferg's, this Josie, this imaginary river with real kayaks on it. This place of grace, those hospital rooms, this shooting star, this Bryson, this treehouse, this Yule Cat Hugo, this Des in the room, this Des on the move, this resting and roaming, this quiet wildlife, this love, this love, this love, this love, this love.
0: Ah, oh, that's beautiful touching. Our Cats and Other Essentials <laughs> by uh, Brian O'Sullivan. And Jen, of course, was on uh, in the last episode. So if anyone wants to see yes. Jen... Uh, go back to rattle number one ninety nine, and she is there on the open lines too. Very cool to see. Thanks for sharing that, Brian. Thank you. Thank you. All right, and next we have. Let's go to um, uh, let's go to Emily D Ferrari. Hi, hi. Hey, Emily. Yeah, how are you doing today?
12: I'm good. I um, I'm so impressed. I'm actually here, and I'm not getting v- feedback. I was listening to that NFT thinking I'll never be able to do that I can't even get over to the zoom on the
0: <laughs> well, you, right. as long as you close uh you know where you were then there's no feedback that's one thing I, I forget to mention so if you're sharing a poem and I should say this for anybody who's still waiting to share on the zoom close out of wherever you were listening either youtube or facebook just x out of that or at least mute it so that you're only hearing through zoom because there's like a 15 second delay which is always a problem and I I keep forgetting to say that I should say that every single episode but I don't but anyway Emily okay. what do you have to share with us today
12: Um, this, uh, I'm sharing a poem that got published recently. I don't often have published poems. Mm -hmm. This was published in a online journal called Intima, a medical narrative journal. Oh, very
0: cool. Congratulations on that.
12: Thanks. Um, and it's something I had been writing for about a year because I've been doing abortion support work Mm -hmm. and it ended up feeling like uh, the ekphrastic challenge kind of spoke to this poem, so it was kind of a reverse. Oh, really interesting, yeah. Mostly so I'll go ahead and read it. Okay, it's, yeah, go ahead. I'm going to clear my throat okay. without moving. <clears> throat> Sorry. No problem. Okay. The secret keeper. He was a night shift doc on labor and delivery. She was a later mama wannabe, a nurse, green. He told her he'd had a vasectomy. She started finding bobby pins in his bathroom. The controls stayed pink, but the test turned blue. She made an appointment. Her friend called that morning to say she was sorry, but she couldn't drive her or pick her up. You have to take a cab home, her friend said. Promise me you'll take a cab. She tucked two subway tokens into her bra and told her friend for sure she would take a cab. Lying flat on her back, legs in stirrups, memorizing the hyper colors of a New York City cartoon map loose by one tack in the acoustic ceiling. She heard the exam room door open. Her eyes swallowed the room as his voice stumbled over her intake papers. I pulled her knee socks down around her ankles. The elastic was cutting the circulation. She pulled them back into place. When he sat between them, she lifted to one elbow. He didn't look up. She fell back with a crinkle and a tear of the white paper. She held the napkin-like blanket over her thighs. She wanted weight. His instruments entered her without his usual reassuring narration. She stared hard at the map on the ceiling. Let him do it and keep it to himself. In the recovery room linked to the quiet of other women, I saw her feel for the remaining subway token in her bra. When I brought her tomato juice and crackers, she called me knee sock nurse and thanked me. I handed her the form to sign that she was going home accompanied. She scratched an untrue X with so much force, she tore the paper, pushed out her lower jaw and held it there, took the subway home and kept that secret like all the others she had made that day. She didn't expect that I'd recognize her when we met, both Gray, working hospice, but she greeted me, asking if I were still pulling these socks down.
0: Oh, that's great. Excellent poem. Thanks so much for sharing that. Very powerful story, The Secret Keeper, by Emily Ferrari. Thanks, Emily.
12: Thanks. Yeah,
0: and next let's go to, oh, by the way, Johnny D. Man on the chat says... Uh, that Zoom was harder to learn than NFTs. And uh, Katie Dozier agrees as she came to NFTs first. And, you know, Zoom is is kind of tricky. It's it's amazing what we can learn. It's actually, it's a great point because before, you know, I used to have these detailed instructions for how to join and participate for every single guest. And then as soon as the pandemic came out of necessity, we all learned things and everybody just, I don't even tell people. I just say, show up to the Zoom. And everybody knows because everybody's familiar with it at this point. So a really good point. Let's go to Dick Westheimer because he said he had to leave um and I think can we get you, Dick? Is there time? Uh yeah, I'll read I'll read a short one. Okay. Um is it should I pull it up where
7: Yeah, uh, yeah. It um it, it's the et- etching of Ancient Stone and Flesh. Okay. Which was a poets respond poem.
0: Okay, as I pull it up, explain uh, what it was about.
7: Uh very briefly, uh somebody was caught on video etching his little part and name of himself and uh, let's see, I think, Ivan Hart's Haley in 23 onto the wall of the Roman Colosseum. Oh, wow. And a random passerby caught him doing it, and it got on social media. And of course, <clears throat> that's a no-no.
10: Punish- yeah, yeah, punishable, so.
7: not by it death, doesn't. but by prison and time. So it just I just thought about what we etch our love into.
0: Yeah, great point. Okay, go ahead.
7: The etching of ancient stone and flesh... There is a certain impulse that prompts the etching of names into the bark of beeches. The tree accepts this without much complaint, yields to the mark of a suitor inscribing the shape of love into the gray hide of this living thing. Ancient stone is more resistance, prefers slow eroding, the work of water and ice to the scrape and pain of a stylus dug into its gritty facade. And a lover, the marks might be hard to note. Sometimes they're seen in a brow that becomes so knotted that it never comes undone. Sometimes they're a gash so deep that flesh never grows back. There is no scar, only ceaseless oozing. And sometimes the mark is made light as a caress in the name of one's love, warm as breath on the concave of a hip, a tongue-wetted neck, A yearning kiss that burns for the whole day.
0: Uh, Beautiful poem. Yeah, excellent and great story to write about, too. Uh, thanks, Dick. And thanks too for having us out to the farm last week while we were, you know, you're in uh about a half an hour outside of Cincinnati. They invite us over for the literally it would be the best pizza I have had in my life until I die. And then maybe in the afterlife there'll be better pizza. I don't know. Well maybe
7: maybe you'll have to come <laughs> back and I'll make a better one as I get better at making I, pizza. I
0: don't know if that's possible. I mean that was uh it was pretty good. But it's just great to see you know, your farm and family and meet everybody. Um thanks for uh, for having us out.
7: Yeah, thanks, Jim. Yeah, see care.
0: y'all. It was Dick Westheimer with uh, the etching of stone and flesh. Let's go to Deb Tannenbaum next. Hello, hey Deb, how are you doing today? I'm doing all right. I think you guys were amazing
8: with that episode. I actually feel like I understand it. Oh, that's great. Kind yeah, it is. it's pretty it's pretty close like a, now.
0: It's a leap, but if we can build that bridge, then it's not a leap anymore, right? So that's
8: right. And the poetry was great. Oh yeah. So I did um, this. Uh, poem uh, for Critique of the Week, and I got a lot of feedback, and so I just thought it'd be fun to share um, its current version, which I don't know if it's final or not. Oh, great. Yeah, let's hear it. Okay. Uh, You suggested shade. Up through the glare of sun-drunk air, rocks poke Mm -hmm. underfoot. The eroded steep trail eases, settles in a way soft with pine needles, Trees are poetry, most are lodgepole. The pine-scented breeze is poetry sighing. Half the trees stand dead on their feet. Insect-wrecked casualties, gone rusty, ragged. Yonder, twin alpine lakes, rainbows swim. Descent is slow, foraging for mushrooms as we go.
0: Oh, that's great. Definitely. I love the, what you did with it after. I remember that poem from the workshops and we suggested to condense it down and make it more visual, the narrative in it. It really works. I love that little uh, haiku hidden in the poem too. (laughs) That's really neat. Thanks for sharing that, Deb. Thank you. It was fun. Yep. Take care. There was a Deb Tenenbaum with You Suggested Shade. And now we'll go to Zachary Honeycutt.
11: Hey, Tim. How's it going, man? Good. How are you doing today, Zach? I'm doing great, but I'm super aggravated now because I really wanted to see you guys today, or have you see me, I should say, but Zoom seems to be having a mind of its own today, so I can't, uh, I don't know what's wrong with my camera. I can't be yeah. on, on screen.
0: Well, it's all right. We have you, we have you here, and you know, it's a good lesson in, uh, in the fact there's, there's a kind of um, um, bias where we're, when we're struggling with something new. We uh, notice all the problems, but when we're kind of used to it, we're like, well, you know, but so this happens with Zoom all the time. It happens with uh, our live streams. There, there are glitches and problems with technology. And so <laughs> thanks for highlighting that in a, in a strange way. But, uh, but yeah, what I do you guess you'd like to share
11: it fit in with this episode. So there you go.
0: <laughs> it did. It was like we set that up <laughs> that
11: way. <laughs> Well, okay. I uh, I have a very special poem to read today. It's actually free verse, believe it or not. Oh, shockingly, wow. that is shocking. I count on you for our
0: uh, <laughs> for our form.
11: <laughs> and I uh, I was gonna read this uh, right after Father's Day, but we can only do one poem that day, so oh, I right. saved it. But this is a very special tribute I'd like to do for my dad, and this is the poem that I was gonna read on Father's Day. Really quick, just to say something about it. Um, I was actually abused when I was a kid and when I was 16 I left my mom to live with my father and my father and I have always been really really close and My father, like I I hate how when I was a kid growing up as a millennial, like a lot of the cartoons, like for instance, The Fairly Odd Parents or Jimmy Neutron and cartoons like that, they'd always make the dads look out to be like complete ignoramuses or imbeciles that couldn't do anything. And even like in the old shows, like The Honeymooners, I remember there was an episode with Ralph Cramden where Ralph and Alice had to switch places and Alice was you know working and making the bacon. And... Um, Ralph couldn't even boil water you know he tried to cook like uh, something (laughs) for dinner and everything like blew up in his face so my dad was the complete opposite of the stereotype of what I guess men are supposed to be my dad was kind of like mr. mom Mm -hmm. and he also worked you know well past nine to five my dad's a remodeling contractor so he's probably like the hardest working person I knew and very smart so um, this is what I wrote about it. I sent it to the Rattle Poetry Competition uh, like a couple years ago. But this is what I said about it. I said, Tim says to send us a poem that makes us cry. This is the one, unless you're the Grinch, before he converted. <laughs> I wrote it early in the morning on my phone when I was thinking about my mom. And to this day, when I read it by myself, sometimes it makes me cry. There's no fox feet or shadow here to protect me or any other character that I can hide behind. It's just my raw emotions about a complicated for me issue. The poem is about duality, as many of my poems and writing are in general. It's about good and evil and how the titular mother in the poem is both one very bad mother and simultaneously one very good mother. And I think that's saying something because the word mother can mean something different to every person based on their own experiences, whether good or bad. A mother doesn't have to be your stereotypical picture of a nurturing, caring, compassionate woman. It could be, but it could also be a single father who comes home every night covered in dirt and drywall dust or sawdust and paint. And that's what a mother always was for me. Yeah. so this is the poem
0: yeah excellent mother. statement and uh you know being a rattled poetry submission i guess i wouldn't have read that because we only read the poems but that was great though yeah go ahead read mother but, yeah no definitely so
11: here's my mother and i guess it's good you guys can't see me because if i do tear up uh I'm, I'm hidden behind this black screen here so that's a plus okay mother you were there when i began both as a child and as a man holding out an outstretched hand as you walked the walk before me. You taught me to have faith in Christ, and because of our relationship, I comprehend another sliver of the peace of the father's mind, how he holds the capacity to love his sons unconditionally, no matter what they think or say or do. You laid out your tools more than a thousand times upon the dusty, dingy floor and poured out your sweat and your time and your toil to show me what real love is by your actions. That outstretched hand is layered with cracks, like the maze of lines in the cracked porcelain tile of the tub you took out on that last job. Your fingers, each finger, is bent, broken, burnt, or bruised, as that hand still reaches out for me, sort of hanging lifelessly but still sticking out anyway. You trudge upon that path you know, on your hands and knees, so that your knees are worn down like the stumps of trees, and gnarled and knobby, full of bumps and uneven. And I can see the rings of your time spent, wrapped around you, never wasting a single oval, never wearing a wrinkle you did not make the best of. When I fell and cut myself or bruised my skin, you picked me up in those sacrificial hands to wrap them around my waist and hug me. You cleaned out the dirt and bandaged my wounds and took them up, carrying them as if they were your own. When mother pulled upon my arm and almost ripped it off my shoulder, when mother got me so sick that the doctors laid my limp body upon a cold metal table, and shot up my little legs with penicillin as I screamed in pain, when mother mocked me and let others ridicule me until I cried, when mother drove me around town half smockered at 1 a.m., when I looked for her and could not find her, when I looked for her for at least two days and found her in the bed of another man and woman, when mother did not tuck me in and I looked out through the window at all the stars wondering if you could see them from your porch. When she took the phone and locked it in her room so I couldn't call you. When she smiled snarkishly, expecting to be worshipped on Mother's Day, for giving birth to me, then shoving me forward into a hellish existence. When Mother ripped my entire world out from under me, as if the entire life I knew were all one big joke she played on me. You were there, going through it all with me. Your big hands clasped around my little, my growing fingers. You lifted me up and showed me a better way to live. When my mother abandoned me and gave up her rights to watching me grow, you earnestly and vigorously put on her pristine shoes, squeezing your toes into the ends of the heels, wearing them on top of your ratty, mud-stained sneakers, making them fit as best you could. Then going off to labor yet another day.
0: Yeah, beautiful poem, Zachary. Thanks so much for sharing that. Uh, really powerful. That was Mother by Zachary Honeycutt. And, and yeah, yeah, thank, can, so. yeah, great reading, yeah. too. And you can hear the, the power of the, the iambics, even the free verse, I have to say. Uh, but really touching poem. Thanks for sharing it, Zach.
11: Yeah, always a pleasure. I consider you guys my poetry family. So I guess for the 200th episode, I, I wanted to do something special like
0: that. Yeah, that's perfect. Well, thanks so much, Zach. Yeah, see you guys next time. Yep. So Zachary Honeycutt, once again, with Mother. Let's go to River Adams, another first-time caller. Hey, River, are Hi, you
13: there? yeah. Hi. Hi. It's my first time listening, but I've been a big admirer for a while of the printed magazine, so I thought I'd check out the podcast and... I'm really, really excited by this conversation. I think NFTs are a really interesting way to go with this. So yeah. I'm really thankful for everybody who's been able to speak on that. I,
0: I definitely think so too. And um, it, it is something, it's, it takes a little while to get, to get used to. But but once you do, I think there are just yeah, a lot much of possibilities. Like yeah.
13: Yeah, so I wanted to share a poem that I wrote about the Coliseum as well, because this is the first time that a news story has made me angry. At the same time, it made me want to write a love letter. Oh, interesting. And I thought that was really, yeah. This is called an open letter to a tourist in love, which was also inspired by a line that Vincent van Gogh wrote in a letter to his brother, where he says, like, love always causes trouble, but in its favor, it energizes. And I thought this was a great example. You carved the names of you and your girl into the concrete, a stubborn rose, smiling through confrontation outside the Colosseum. You held your keys inside your fist like a woman walking scared while she stood watch in a spotted sundress, a pantheress, safe, from a worse fate inside the ancient walls. The world wants to punish you and I want to understand. Maybe you hadn't known love before. Maybe the love that came before wasn't worth the dedication. An inscription like the gold plate of a gladiator's pendant swinging from his neck while he fights for his life and the world roots against him. Are you pleased with the reaction? Are you terrified? Do you feel a little like a child who joined the walls with crayon? You are not the first man to be selfish with a monument, generous with his love's name and time, forging her into forever. A man wrote his daughter's initials on the moon, and I wonder if there are nights when she forgets, when the moonlight streams through her window in the shape of her father's breath and she doesn't hear it, closes the curtains, and tries to fall asleep. If it was me, I would be up all night. If I was yours, I would tell the story to anyone who'd listen. Maybe we all have ruined a ruin with what has made us better. Sometimes we love just to see what we can get away with. Someday a man who hasn't been born will arrive with love he hasn't yet found and they will trace your names like a text. He will translate with their bodies later. Love always causes trouble. This is known by every man who has ever made something even if all he made was a mess. But what is there to make besides a mess? What are you doing in a city that is eternal, if not trying your best to outlive it?
0: Oh, that's a great reaction to that new story. Yeah, thanks so much, River. I love that line um, where it was, maybe we all have ruined a ruin with what has made us better. That's just great. Such a great mixed uh, emotions in that reaction to that poem. Really wonderful, wonderful line. Yeah, thank you for letting me share. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. That was River Adams with Open Letter to a Tourist in Love. And uh, last but not least, well, we have uh, some more poets we've already been on, but for the poets we haven't been on yet, the last one here is Audrey Friedman. Hey, Audrey. Hi, Tim. How are you doing today?
14: Good. Very good. Um, I have a prompt poem today. Mm-hmm. This is Ode to a pomegranate.
0: Okay, great. Well, we know what this is about.
14: <laughs>
0: That's the nice thing about odes, I guess, right?
14: Oh, uh, yeah. What it's about is not always what it's about. Exactly. So, you know, the poems have surprises. Ode to a pomegranate. Oh, a womb bursting with seed, suspended in such stunning succulence. You are the mother a sack full of exactly 840 possibilities. Persephone could avoid your siren call no more than Eve and broke through the crown of your red rind to bear your membranes, suck your watery pulp from its sack to crunch your countless secrets between her teeth.
0: Oh, that's excellent! Yeah, great, great extended metaphor there too, Audrey. Thanks for sharing it. Thank you. All right, that was Audrey Freeman with O2 a pomegranate, and let's go to uh, Johnny Dean Mann again. Johnny, did you have something else you wanted to share?
6: Hey Tim, uh, yeah, I, I can happily share another one. Um, I don't have a prompt one or anything like that, unfortunately. Sorry about that. But no, I do definitely. have another NFT poem, which is on the theme, I guess. So,
0: so it did you, uh, Can I pull it up? Did you send it to me? Let's see. I did, not know, But um, uh, is that okay? Yeah, you, that's you fine. If you you, yeah, me? if you just want to read it, yeah, go ahead. Okay, fine.
6: Well, it's it's a slightly unusual one. This is this is um, a generative poem that I did a couple of years ago uh, in 2021 uh, on a platform called FX Hash, which is for generative artworks. Um, so this is like a poem system that I worked on with a coder. Um, and just from the description to it, I call it a, a bespoke a literary chance machine. It's crafted from a matrix of uh, ranked options. Uh, and the style and tone of the generative output uh, is, uh, creates the title as well. So we've got a sort of generative title. Um, so the algorithm that drives the poem is what they call an evolving feature map. <laughs> Uh, so each word has a series of features. Uh, when it gets selected randomly, it con- contributes to the following words. So it creates a sort of thematic tone. Interesting. Um, they're very short. Um, they're split into four. Uh, and I'll just, give you, I'll just give you a couple of examples of this, if that's okay.
0: Mm-hmm.
6: This is called the Managed Miles of the Project. Um, so the first one is number 12 of 300 and something. Uh, this one is called the Cold Strange. Uh, the way the fall puts its pulls its own heat is like me. The way it blends and sallies, all the sounds froze above the view, taking lives as you pause. Uh, and then another one, this one is called uh, The Reverent Breeze. The way the million lurches its own mole is like us, the way it floats and clips. All the sounds froze along the slope, calling lawns as you try. Um, so you can see there are certain similarities that maybe pop up as as you listen to them, um, yeah. but the chance of two transactions generating the same poem from this system is about one in 450,000, I think. So you get little bits come up that repeat, but yeah, everyone is original.
0: Basically. Yeah, that's very interesting. There's so many different ways to write a poem and, and, you know, the poets are interested in the NFT space, tend to be interested in all the different ways too. And so very cool example of that. Thanks for sharing that, Johnny. And uh, we will close out like we began with Katie Dozier. Hey, Katie.
13: Hello
1: again. I'm still here. (laughs) You are still here. I was
0: wondering if you had to get out to run, but you don't. No. So you have an ode, I believe.
1: I have a prompt poem, but I think I might actually read one that I think is more fitting to the closing out of the NFT poet uh, one here, which I also wanted to say because he went back and forth between people. I think... We didn't really get to thank you as a group for deciding to do this tribute issue, but I know that everybody is super grateful, and it's really impressive that you saw the potential of our space when a lot of editors and publishers, I think, would be like NFTs. I don't need no <laughs> NFTs, and instead you were open to the conversation, so we all really appreciate it.
0: Well, thanks for saying that. You know, I'm always trying to find, you know find new stuff. So even if it was weird and didn't work, what you were doing, it still gonna be something worth interesting and checking out. But I do think <laughs> it, it's a. It, very, the ads are pretty good of it being the future of how we share writing. So it's great to be yeah. early adopters. So thanks for getting me on board.
1: Definitely weird, but also the future of everything as things tend to go.
0: Yeah, I think so. <laughs> so. So, can I pull up? Is there a way I can pull up what you want to read? Did you send it?
1: Oh, sorry. I forgot about that, even oh, though geez, I'm on it. Like, <laughs> like, there is no excuse for that. Uh, <laughs> um, okay well i could is it I in could, your chat uh, book it is in my chat book um <laughs> which you <laughs> have in okay, hang another on one second. room i'll go
0: get it and put on the webcam <laughs> it's in the other room
1: <laughs> all okay. right i'll just talk until what, yeah you talk back.
0: until i do and and what page is it on
1: it's on page 22
0: okay so tell people about it while i do that
1: okay so this is the physical version of the collectible chat book that i did so what i decided to do was first mince this as a collectible chapbook, which I'm hoping other people copy that term because I think it's very appropriate. And then it's with Alexandria Labs and the mastermind behind that, I think by and large being Amelie Lasker, who is amazing. And so I minted that as a collection where each particular NFT is a different one because the cover is different for every single iteration of that limited edition collectible chapbook, which makes it a non-fungible token and in contrast to this which is very fungible very replicable and just a physical traditional chapbook but it exists in its more collectible form as an nft so
0: okay so which one
1: that, <laughs> i'm gonna read cake for food masque because this came up earlier in this it talking did. about this so this was a a party and a partial poetry reading that the verse first did in part at this party that was way cooler than i am thrown by Food Maskew that was like an NFT centric and in like a super hip art gallery where I felt overwhelmed by coolness because I'm a dork. So <laughs> this is called cake for food maskew, who is an NFT artist. All along the party walls, pictures of a pop art man wearing masks made of food, as if Andy Warhol had done a self-portrait in his soup. Toothpicked by his mouse, a jackfruit, ears made elfin by half pineapples, hot dog buns snug between binder clips beside the cheeks of dripping ketchup and mustard. And now this, an ice cream cake held fast to his face. A metal scoop in one hand, a plastic spatula in his right. I wiggled the piece in the corner, afraid it would fall. A frosted cloud of sprinkles could have been flung onto the wall, but with my fudge square safe atop a paper plate, food Matthew's arms extended upwards to offer more. At first, I thought it only tasted like a chocolate start, but the second bite still lingers now, an unmasked metaphor for every piece of art.
0: <laughs> so, there is. This is definitely the strangest party I've been to. And now I've been to uh, haiku poetry parties too. But f- Food Mask You is a. Uh, I'll put up one of these. This is the kind of thing he does. He started doing the pandemic. And he puts food on his face and calls it art, which yeah. is uh, interesting. You know, it's strange, but we're still talking about it like six months later, or however yeah. long it's. But I guess it's only been three months, but we're still talking and about the... it. And um, it's just interesting—the the the joy and strangeness of that was definitely interesting. Thanks for sharing that poem, Katie. Oh, well, thanks
1: so much for doing this episode, and I love hearing everybody's poem and. It was a really fun afternoon, so thank it you. It was,
0: yeah. Thanks so much. Um, yeah, so that's going to close out the show. Let's do the Saiku really quickly. And the Saiku this week, if I can pull up, we have a lot of things up this time. The Saiku was based on this article out of the University of Cambridge. Um, I have to accept the cookies, and they're very complicated because it's the UK. But anyway, the University of Cambridge is here, and they are... Um, did this research this paper right here reading for pleasure in early childhood linked to better cognitive performance and mental well-being in adolescence which you know reading it i just kind of actually thought it was a ridiculous study because um you know, kids who are have a better job of reading and have stability and stuff become better in life. It doesn't mean that reading causes that. You know, it's just, you know, causation, correlation, etc. You know, I don't know what they're thinking, but it did make me think about reading. I, of course, read to my kids constantly when they were young. And I like to think that it mattered, even though, you know, likely they were just geniuses to start with. Because that's just, you know, it's just how the world that you get the hand you're dealt with. But anyway... Um, this is my little Saiku. It's a monoku. And um here it is. After years just saying goodnight, Moon. After years just saying goodnight, Moon. That is our Saiku for the week, and that is the show for the week. Thanks everyone again for having uh being here with us and learning about NFTs if you're familiar with it. Hope you expanded your knowledge. If it's new to you, hope you understand kind of and get a sense and maybe more curiosity and see what's all about. Of course, you could read our interview with Sasha styles in rattle number 80, or check out all those examples and author statements in that issue. You can also see, uh, we're going to have an episode with Sasha styles and with Anna Maria Caballero coming up later at the end of this month, but next week's guests on the rattle cast. Well, let me do the prompt first before I reveal next week's guest, the prompt for next week. Um, Kind of inspired by NFT poets, and I'm not sure how this is going to work, but it's very open ended. The prompt for next week is write a mixed media poem of some kind. Use art or sound or some other medium combined with your poem. Pretty simple, but a lot of options. We'll see what you do. That is next week's prompt make a mixed media poem of some kind. And next week's guest in the Rattle Cast is going to be Virgil Suarez. And we've published Virgil um, several times going back, way back. Um, Virgil is most recently the author of American Chernobyl. Um, And it's a self-published book, even though it's a beautiful book. He's an artist as well. And look at that beautiful cover. Um, And so we're going to talk about self-publishing too. So sort of alternative publishing is a bit of a theme this month, although an accidental theme. But uh, that's Virgil Suarez, um, a down in Florida based poet. I know he rides motorcycles, and uh, his newest book is American Chernobyl. Um, so we're we'll checking him out, Rattlecast number 201. Monday, back to the regular time, July 10th, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Hope to see you then. Hope you have a great week in the meantime, and I will talk to you later. Goodbye.